For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcast. Talking with uh, Paddy O'Brien, advocate for the elderly in Cork City on the air yesterday about a particularly uh, worrying case of an elderly woman living out in Blackpool. Sadly, there is a tragedy from Blackpool being reported this morning. Uh, we heard about it last night where Gardaí were investigating all the circumstances uh, involving the discovery of a body of a man in his 70s at a residence in the Blackpool area uh, on Wednesday evening. The body, a dead man, sadly, was removed from the um, home and taken to the morgue at the University Hospital. Now, Paddy says this is shocking news to hear um, and uh, the public health nurse should be calling to vulnerable elderly people in all of our communities and they should be checking in on them at least once a week or at minimum reaching out by phone. Uh, now, it's thought that the man could have been there for some time, unfortunately passed away, and it was some time before he was found. The elderly man's body at the residence in Blackpool uh, found on Wednesday evening. It's very, very sad and tragic. Uh, that doesn't uh, make the newspapers, makes online, uh, but not the papers themselves. But one story that does, we are ticking away into the month of January now, and you're going to find uh, that, uh, according to the Irish Times this morning, a lot of hotels and guests guest houses that have given over their properties to the state uh, and had contracts with the state to take uh, refugees or indeed international protection order uh, civilians who've come into the country. Uh, a lot of them won't renew uh, when the renewal comes up. In fact, the Times this morning uh, looks into the 141 accommodation providers uh, contacted by the department whose contracts are expiring. Only 51 of them have agreed to extend uh, so far. A lot of raised queries um, and are starting to ask questions. And, and it is thought that there will be a significant uh, shortfall in hotel beds and indeed guest houses and bed and breakfasts um, when the tourist season kicks off again in March, that hotels in particular will be taking back their property. So what's going to happen then with regards to the amount of people who will be discommoded? It could be upwards of 8,500 uh, Ukrainians alone. Uh, Cork City and, and uh, suburbs uh, are among the areas around the country now with absolutely zero properties available uh, to people on any form of housing payments. Uh, it just goes from bad to worse. Uh, the uh, Now, unfortunately, sadly, a lot of landlords don't take HAP. And when you look at those that do, there were only 41 properties available across the entire country for people on HAP. And it's a headline story making the echo this morning. Whereas recently then, you heard Leo Varadkar uh, saying that there are 70,000 units, um, I think he's primarily talking about apartments, that have yet to be developed, um, that have probably been through planning stages. And he says the state is looking at a way in which they could accelerate construction. Uh, and he said, his words, not mine, that if we, as in the government, say to the builder that if you build it, we'll buy it, um, that might speed things up because there would be guaranteed payment and guaranteed a particular price, which is all very well when it comes to social housing. I get that and public authority housing, but it takes an awful lot out of the mar- an awful lot out of the marketplace for the private buyer if they're saying anything that's built, the state will buy it. They need to have uh, you know two thinking caps on here. Yeah, they need to have the one they're talking about with social housing, but also people who want to get on the property ladder themselves. And the Irish nurses and midwives make the papers again this morning. They continue to tell us, and rightly so, of the impossible conditions that nurses and midwives, you talk about the CUH, we also should be including, obviously, the Mercy and other hospitals like that, but also the CUMH, and that's the story from the Echo today. And, you know, with health-related matters, the examiner is saying that Europe is now 
stockpiling drugs, various types of, of drugs. It's a front pager making the examiner today. Uh, the shortages that we were talking about on the air yesterday with pharmacists is about 200 different medicines, right? And a lot of them include things like anti- various types of antibiotics, uh, Nurofen for children, didn't even know it was such a thing, but apparently there is. Different types of diorolite, which is the hydration powder, all in short supply. Six different kinds of cough syrup produced by Benelin, all in short supply, or indeed in cases uh, where, um, you know, pharmacies used to stock them. Some of them have run out. So that's the reason why. And of course, they're all talking about the fact that we've got so much sickness and it's a particularly bad winter for viruses this winter. And it has new flu variants as well that can kind of avoid and work their way around uh, the flu vaccine. Uh, I know Damien English makes many of the newspapers th- this morning, uh, con- yesterday, and continues to do today. Some are suggesting, would he be um, would he be censured in any kind of a way? Would there be any investigation into the fact that he misled the planning authorities? Apparently there won't be, nor will he actually have to resign his seat as a, as a TD, because Leo Varekra said uh, that would be a step too far, but that, that the voters who voted him in last time would decide as to whether they want to keep him as a TD or not. Remember the, yesterday we were talking about a judge who said um, he had a chap before him, a burglar before him, uh, and it turned out that that burglar who was in court was in receipt of disability benefit for being lactose intolerant. And the judge said, I'm sure that the taxpayer uh, will be delighted to know that the Department of Social Welfare pays disability benefit for lactose intolerance. Uh, and his photograph and everything made the, the papers as well as the story yesterday. He was found dead in his cell. He was found dead in his cell. He was jailed this week for his part in a burglary. Um, and he was found dead in his cell in Limerick Prison <coughs> yesterday. Uh, now, uh, Gardaí and the Irish Prison Service are conducting separate investigations. I mean, it's hard to believe that one day you're in the news for one particular type of story, as in, I got disability benefit because I'm lactose intolerant. Next day, the story is, same guy, found dead in his cell. It's very, very sad. It's tragic. There's an investigation into that. Uh, Enoch Burke continues to make the newspapers. Boy, do we get some reaction to that story when we were chatting about it yesterday morning on air. Um, and I'll come back to that a little later on because there's an amount of people who still have opinions on it. And yesterday, of course, was the first anniversary into the tragic murder, the death the taking of the young life of Ashley Murphy at the age of 23. She was killed while out jogging. Uh, and many of the Red Tops today carry photographs of so many people who gathered um, to mark her, her passing uh, and her anniversary. Um, and her dad actually took out the banjo and he played a song for Ashley. I'm quite sure that must have been very, very moving. There is another death that's... Um, not reported in the printed newspapers because it happened overnight, and that is the death of Lisa Marie Presley. What the what the red tops and the broadsheets are saying this morning is that she was rushed to hospital after a heart drama. They call it heart drama. She has died uh, of cardiac arrest. Fifty four, um, you know, fifty four years of age. Her mother's still alive. Um, and we all we all know of uh, her mother Priscilla Presley being married to Elvis Presley and Lisa being the daughter and I mean a dead ringer to be honest with you, absolute ringer for uh, her dad Elvis Presley and interestingly Lisa Marie Presley uh, controlled all of Graceland's that was her gig she's only nine when her dad died. Uh, and she controlled Elvis Presley Enterprises. Now I know that there was a lot of buying and selling of various shares, but she controlled Graceland. Uh, the Memphis, Tennessee estate that her father owns. Never there. 
Um, I think a lot of people who are serious Elvis fans, it's a pilgrimage that they do. Uh, a, a friend of mine, Kieran Barry, who, who's been there at least once, probably more, says like something that's trapped in the early 1970s with the colours and the decors and what have you. But anyway, of course, we know that Presley himself was found unconscious and died in 1977. A lot of tragedy for that family, wouldn't you think? I mean, Lisa Marie Presley was married four times. She was married to Michael Jackson for a short period of time and indeed married to Nicolas Cage, amongst others. Uh, And she died overnight, very sad, at the age of 54. I probably should have mentioned when I was talking about the death of Ashling Murphy, uh, the amount of women that die at the hands of men just because they're women. They break out the stats this morning and they say that in any decade, so in any period of 10 years around the world, 850,000 women are murdered by femicide, which is the killing of a woman because she is a woman. So every 10 years, 850,000 women are murdered by uh, femicide. And that's the equivalent to the population of Amsterdam every 10 years. It's alarming. There are a lot of other stats making the papers today, like electric cars versus diesel cars. Diesel's still popular enough. I think it's by 2030 you won't be able to buy any more diesel cars. And more people, I think electric cars are powering ahead, if you'll pardon the pun. They're surging ahead. Um, And the big sellers at the moment seem to be Hyundai, Toyota, Kia, they're the top five. They take five. They take you know the top five position. Honda with the Tucson, Toyota with the Yaris, and the Corolla, and the CHR, and Kia with the Sportage. But when you look at the electrics, then uh, Volkswagen take this top spot. Hyundai second with the Hyundai Ioniq, and Tesla the Model Three. So they're doing okay, electric cars, but um, there's still an amount of diesel and indeed petrol being sold. And would would we all be happy if we had an IKEA in Cork? I've never been through the doors of an Ikea. I've no particular wish to go through the doors of an Ikea, but I know an awful lot of people head upwards along the road to go to Ikea. So they want to build three new outlets and they are talking about um, Drogheda, Port Leash, but most importantly Cork. There was talk back in the day, if I remember correctly, when Ikea wanted to come to Cork that they wanted to go down around Carrick Tool. I don't know if that ship has sailed. I have no idea as to where they would put it. I wonder where it would work though. Probably somewhere outside the city, I suppose, because free parking is the way to go these days. I probably should have mentioned, I was talking about the death of Lisa Marie Presley, uh, that Jack Nicholson makes the papers today. He's 85 years old, and his friends are worried that he might be turning into a bit of a, a Howard Hughes or a bit of a Marlon Brando, in the sense that he has turned his back on all of his friends, turned his back on the outside world, and now pretty much spends his entire life <coughs> in his big Hollywood mansion on his own. And they're very worried about uh, Jack Nicholson as to why he's become such a recluse. So there's that and lots more in the papers today. I will come back to one or two others a little after 10 o'clock, particularly if you've ever um, ventured overseas uh, and uh, got a huge big stinging bill for data roaming. So I'll come back to that a little later on, one or two other stories as well. Lines open, text 0868104106. Prendeville Show. Gold winner for interactive speech program at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. Court Red FM. Okay, can I just go back to a story I mentioned earlier on there, and it is related to uh, Ukrainian refugees coming into Ireland, 68, maybe 70,000 of them that are here already, but continue to arrive on a weekly basis. 
and that's all very well that we fulfil our commitment internationally although Leo Varadkar has said recently that we literally my words not his have nowhere now to put Ukrainian refugees and I was mentioning that the Irish Times said that the bigger problem now will be the amount of hotels two thirds of them who were contacted have yet to sign new deals now the deals that they had signed were either either expired in December or will expire in January. So, um, a lot of pressure uh, coming down the track as to where those in hotels will go if they are moved out of hotels and and uh, guest houses. So we know, according to the Red Cross, uh, that the government number that ten thousand three hundred people have been placed in over five thousand pledged properties. Do you remember where people were being asked uh, to pledge their home or holiday home or a room or what have you? So that maybe more of that could happen. Or indeed, as was being suggested over the last couple of days, greenfield sites could be used by the state to build modular homes quickly. The pushback on that is, why aren't we doing that for Irish people? Why aren't we doing that for people who are desperate and are couch surfing or uh, living in hostels themselves or bed and breakfasts or, or indeed hotels? But anyway, your thoughts on that are welcome. Text 0868104106. Liam O'Dwyer is the Interim Secretary General of the Irish Red Cross and joins me by phone. Liam, good morning. Good morning, Neil. And uh, can I say to you, Neil, I'm no longer the Interim Secretary General. I'm now an advisor because there is a new Secretary General here in the Red Cross. So, okay, my uh, apologies for sure. that. So, no, it's not, no, it's not your fault at all. I should have made that clear to you now. Deirdre Garvey has taken over here. Well, good luck to her. General, but but, but yes, still no, and all, you're well capable of crunching the numbers for us and I, looking at what 2023 is going to be like with regards to yeah, accommodation. Yeah, because because yeah. you just heard there, there's a big chance that a lot of the big hotels will want their properties back for tourism now, Liam. I, there, there, there's no doubt about that. And I think the government itself has identified somewhere in the region of 12,000 beds will be lost um, that are currently being used in particular for U- Ukrainian refugees. And that will make a big difference. Now, look, there, there are obviously plans afoot. The modular housing will, will generate by the end of March uh, two, two and a half thousand. Uh, I know there's quite a bit of renovation of the larger, older buildings, particularly the older religious buildings. And that will also generate a number of thousands. Uh, the, local, the new local authority uh, vacant home scheme is working very well by the looks of it and they seem to have generated some as well which will, which will also bring in and then we have at the moment uh, 1500 uh, of the pledges and we will, we will deliver on those but it's still not enough and I mean that's why I'd say the Overadkar has recognised that it's not enough uh, to meet the, uh, the, the demand that is But is, is he also kind of half saying we can't take any more I wonder? Well, I, I suspect, uh, and I know that the Ukrainian ambassador uh, has indicated to uh, her, um, her country people um, that things are very tight accommodation-wise here. And ever since she has done that, the numbers have dropped off who are coming here. But I, I suppose, Neil, when you, like one of my staff, uh, who is a Ukrainian, went over to see her mother. She was very concerned about her at Christmas. And really, you listen to, to what's going on over there. You listen to the fact that there's no electricity for much of the time that people are living in, in cold, that there was intermittent bombings the whole time. And you realize that this is, this is an emergency. This isn't your normal uh, migration. Uh, this, this is very much an, an emergency. And, and I think from a government perspective, because ultimately, even though 
the, the NGOs and the Red Cross, and uh, you know, we will certainly help and we are doing so. Um, the reality is the government will have to take this by the scruff of the neck and recognise that in an emergency situation, you have okay. to you have to be creative. And I mean, being creative is what happened in Germany with the Syrian crisis. Angela Merkel took in a million people. And what she did was she put people in very large, even aircraft hangars, for a period of time while, just as you mentioned earlier, she went and she built uh, modular housing and other housing so she could accommodate them in the longer term. Right. So, okay. so that's what we have to do. And cool. the other, there's another, there's another significant opportunity which has not been utilised yet, and, and that is there is a proliferation of office space in um, a lot of the business parks right around the country, and I, and I don't mean the business parks right in the, the centre of Cork or the centre of Dublin, uh, these are the ones in the outskirts, and many of those buildings are simply not being used at the moment. Okay, I'm, I'm actually in one of those complexes as I speak to you, yeah. a big uh, university technology park. I'm quite sure that since COVID, a lot of it hasn't been reoccupied. Yeah. You're suggesting that in places like where I am now broadcasting that would have been call centres or, or indeed office Correct. blocks, yeah. quite yeah. big open plan areas that they could be adapted with partitions or something. Yeah, that, that's exactly, and that has happened already in England, and I know that it is being looked at here, but I think that's a huge avenue for us. And again, look, this is all about, A, it's about being creative, and it's also been, it's recognising that this is an emergency. And, and I think the knock-on effect for us as a country could be that with all the creativity that's coming to the fore now around accommodation, that will, in the longer term, when this war ends, uh, hopefully it will, uh, benefit uh, Irish the Irish people as well who are in need of accommodation because they'll be there for them. Is it when Ukrainians go Precisely, back? Although there, although there is some talk about maybe that they won't. I mean, there was a Ukrainian refugee who was living in Ireland for six months recently with her daughter, who who eventually then went to Poland to be nearer to Ukraine, and she was quoted in on News Talk recently saying that the Irish government is way too generous. Uh, with the amount of money that it's paying out, do you, do you have any thoughts on that? She she actually was comparing, if I remember, she was comparing um, the amount of money that she receives at two hundred and fifty euro a week, and she was shocked because she thought it was two hundred and fifty a month. She says it was big money, and we're too generous. And she actually said too much was being done for refugees. Well, I I I, I wouldn't agree with that. I can understand it when people are coming from another another country, particularly in Eastern Europe. Uh, where the cost of living is 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 much much lower. I mean, we are a high cost country, um, and you know, you look at the regulations in this country. You look at uh, consumer protection, health and safety. You look at the cost of insurance in this country, and suddenly you realise why uh, for people to survive in a uh, in a normal manner in this country, more is required. Now, yeah. the government have also no, I know that, but she was saying. I mean, if you drill into it, the two hundred and fifty would be two hundred and eight for her, and then more than yeah. for each child. But they'd also get a medical card, and they get three square meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, and they'd also have you know free buses and you know schooling and things. It'd be hard to know what you'd spend it on. Yeah, well, I think what's happened now is that the government have changed. Tack on that, and uh, they're now charging. The, the hotels have been uh, told to charge now. It's it's ten euros a day per adult and right. five for children right. for food. So uh, I I think each time you have to look at this. The government, to be very fair to them, stepped up very quickly, and uh, they have made the Ukrainian people very welcome here. 
Um, and I know that uh, like any of the Ukrainian people that we talk with, even people living in poor conditions, accommodation wise, by, by our standards, uh, they are hugely grateful. Uh, for the, the response of the Irish mm. people, mm. which has been amazingly generous, and the response of the government. Could I just talk to you about that, though? Because, that, you know, going back a long year, nearly a year now, many, many people did originally pledge to the, to the Red Cross. Um, yeah. Was there about 25,400 offers, was it? Yeah, yeah. Indeed. Okay. Now, when you boiled it down, I mean, a number of people quite a number of people now would have pledged a number of times, by the way. You know, when you put something into a database, uh, and you, you 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 press the button for a second time yeah. to be sure. Okay. That, uh, well, let, so let's I, say I that that's artificially high. But but yeah, let's work with that figure anyway. How? Just talk me through how many actually were were actually fulfilled. Um, oh, a much a much smaller. When when we say uh, that there are ten thousand people roughly living in pledged accommodation. Uh, of that number, uh, six and a half, 6,300, 6,500 of those are living in Red Cross and government pledged accommodation. Um, uh, another, the guts of 4,000 people uh, are living in accommodation which originally would have come to the Red Cross, but they got tired of waiting uh, to be placed and they went ahead themselves through Facebook channels and ad hoc arrangements. And that has been also very successful. Um, because a lot of people are in that accommodation. So when you look, if you take the amount of pledges that have been yeah. used, at the moment you're talking about the guts of 5,000 properties uh, are housing uh, uh, Ukrainians it, it, at the moment. Okay, so are you saying that 5,000 of the 25,500 pledges have actually been fulfilled where people have given up rooms or holiday homes yeah. or unused yeah. properties. Yeah. 5,000 yeah. I'd, say, I'd say the figure, the, the original figure would have been closer to 21 properly. But you know, that, that is... 21,000, so okay, 5,000 of the 20. And and you, what were the reasons, right. do you know, as to why people dropped off or, or changed their mind? Um, well, there's a, there's a whole variety of reasons. Now, we've done this before. This isn't as if we, we just decided to do this from the Ukraine point of view. Every time we do this for other refugees that have come here from Syria or Afghanistan, etc., uh, you generally, about, roughly about a third would come to fruition. Um, and that is that people immediately make a response, a hugely generous response. Mm -hmm. and they say, look, we're going to pledge the accommodation. We'd like to do that. Uh, and I think also then people reflect afterwards. People make an immediate reaction and then they think a bit about it. And also the uh, the government took a decision... That, that their personal circumstances well, when, they, when they actually well, looked well, at it closely said it, it just won't work, is it? Yeah, but it often, often one person in the house would make a pledge and then when the, the person discusses it with other people ah, in yes, the house yeah, and yeah. other families, yeah. and I, we had quite a bit of that. And also... Um, People's circumstances change. Like their, their, their parents, one of the parents dies, they have to take somebody in, they have to take maybe a family member back for college. There's a whole variety of, people, of reasons. But I think one of the reasons in this case would be the government did take a decision to ensure there was Garda vetting for households uh, who were taking in women and children and largely what was coming to Ireland were women and children. And that Garda vetting... Uh, process uh, when we would have started this and it's an official process it's not a Red Cross process we just ran it for the government but um, a significant number of people dropped off at, uh, at that 
in that situation. Because, um, and I'm quoting from the Red Cross here, the various form filling the state requires regarding Garda vetting took time and was a deterrent to some applicants because the form I, filling was too consuming, um, particularly because, the, you know, the potential that they might be taking minors into their home, right? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I, I think that that is so. At the same time, can I, can I be absolutely frank? The, the Gardaí have done a wonderful job. I mean, the Gardaí are turning around any of those applications that come via us within one or two days at the, uh, at the latest. They have been a huge help. But the reality is, um, I suppose, when you look at that process, the first piece of it is the identification, the ID identification and we do that online. Some people insist on us calling, which is fine, no problem. And then, then there is a number of forms that go out to them, that come back, and then uh, those forms have to be completed. And anybody who's yeah. filled in a guard, the vetting form, knows the number of addresses, all your past addresses and details. So that can take time. And we have a team of people here who phone people after we've sent them the form and say, look, can we help them? Uh, can we move this along? Right, but there was, but there, so there was guard of vetting for those that were generous enough to open up their own homes, but those that were coming into and the country, they, they, the weren't, they weren't guard of vetted, though. Um, say that again, sorry. I'm saying say that. that those that were offering homes were, were, were told they'd have to be guard of vetted, but those that were coming in from Ukraine or international protection orders or whatever, they weren't being guard of vetted. No, that's, uh, that's absolutely correct, yeah. So yeah. people who offered uh, okay. a vacant home, and it's the same currently if people offer a, a house, a standalone house, there's no guard of vetting involved in that. Um, but anybody who's bringing someone into their home, uh, and for everybody over 16 in that house, there is guard of vetting required. And tell me, I remember at the time when we were dealing with this as a topic on air, an awful lot of people were frustrated saying that they had pledged but were never called back. Well, um, well, there's a couple of things I'd say about that. Uh, number one, I think we, we brought in, the very first thing we did was we brought in the army. We brought in a very large army call centre. We brought in two other call centres. And uh, so everybody was rung or emailed if they didn't answer the phone. So it's not as if we just tried to ring people once or twice. People were, we tried many times and then we emailed people to say, listen, if you're still in, would you, would you email us back and let us know? So all of that did happen, and it happened reasonably, reasonably quickly. I, I don't want to suggest this was very speedy, which is wrong. No, because again, the Red the Cross said some people withdrew their, in their offers because they got tired of waiting to be contacted by the local authorities. Well, I suppose what happened then was, so just that you understand then, um, we would have taken all of what we call viable and available, the people who confirmed all their details and said, yes, we're ready to go. And that amounted to, to roughly uh, 11,500 to 12,000. And we would have sent that then to the government, which was our remit. The Red Cross were not asked to do the placing, except for people who are sick or ill or mm. needed, needed hospital. We were asked simply to, to get the data together and to send it to the government. And the government then gave it to the local authorities. And the local and authorities gave it to call centres, I think, was it? Uh, well, no, the local authorities then did the placing of the refugees into accommodation. And I want to be fair to the local authorities because <laughs> this was new territory for them. Um, and they had to, so I suppose, get their own systems in place to do that placing. Because that placing is complex. Because you're not, this isn't, this isn't a drop and go. This is a question of identifying the right Ukrainian family or family makeup, and then you're talking to the pledger. You don't just ring a pledger and say the person's on the way. You know, you have to meet the pledger, you bring the two together, and there's a matching process, which is complex and takes time. 
because pledgers have very understandably uh, they have their own terms and conditions and uh, equally then you know you've got a Ukrainian family coming in and we need to make certain yeah. that matches proper so okay. uh, that that took a lot more time than anybody realised and understandably people got frustrated so Neil I wouldn't uh, su- suggest that people didn't because they did yeah. and I've, that's yeah. why many of them went off there's uh, there's a number of other people who are doing this placement and other um, organisations and uh, they, they, they're not obliged to do the guard of vetting and they're able to do it much more speedily. To be at, the, at the same time, there was 42 million raised, wasn't there, between the public and corporate donations, 42 million. What, oh, what, yeah, that, what, that was just unbelievable. What, what really did you do? What, what, how was that used, I wonder? Um, well, um, uh, at this stage, near, near just under 20 million has been sent across already to, uh, to Ukraine. And uh, the Red Cross would have a number of channels for doing that. Uh, obviously, we're supporting the Ukraine Red Cross. We're supporting the Polish Red Cross because they are working on the borders with all of the, the refugees coming across the borders. Um, and they have camps there. So we've drafted quite a bit of that money into shelter, into food, uh, into water, into health care. Um, and then we've also supported the work of the International Committee of the Red Cross, uh, who would be working on the ground in particular, providing medical facilities uh, and also trying to, try as much as possible, to keep the infrastructure going. In other words, the hospitals, uh, the prisons, the uh, uh the schools um, and, and I suppose the negotiation goes on uh, uh, all the time with the International Committee and with uh, the, the Russian army and with the Ukraine to okay. protect those infrastructures. Okay, okay. So, so that, that, if you like, so the first uh, 20 million has, has in essence gone across already um, uh, and then we have spent 1 million here on the likes of vouchers for Ukrainians because many people came here and they came with with very little. So we, we've got vouchers for Ukrainians to support them with, with clothes, with shoes, the type of thing that they couldn't bring in uh, when they were leaving their home country in such an emergency. Okay, so when the hotels now pull out, and, and it's inevitable that they will, your Red Cross is suggesting the modular homes, religious buildings, you mentioned, as in Germany, aircraft hangars, or indeed office spaces in technology and business parks. Um Will, will that will that do it? Like, I mean, just just wondering. Well, you know, well, look, look, Neil. It, I I don't know is the answer to that. But well, I tell you what, it will do is is it will make a space available, and I think that's what we have to focus on. We have to focus on doing doing the best, and that that is that is the the remit of the government at the moment now to go out and to sort that out. But you, I, I, there are significant commercial offers. Coming in, but if but yes, but if there are thousands more new ones that are going to be needed now because the hotels will pull out, it's inevitable that they, they will. will. Yeah. Should the word go out now and say we cannot take any more Ukrainian refugees? I'm very sad, and in fact, we have to relook at international protection orders where people are just arriving at Irish ports sometimes without any documentation. I know it's cruel, a cruel thing to, to do, but you have to face facts and look at the numbers. Yeah, you, well, the, 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 the fact would be that uh, Ukrainian people coming here are simply looking for safety and shelter. And uh, that's what we have to focus on. It's not about limiting the numbers. The Ukrainian ambassador has already made clear that spaces here are now very, very limited. And so that word has gone out and that already has had a reduction in people coming. 
But we have to keep remembering this is war. This is an emergency. This isn't the normal. Migration. Oh, it is a war, but it's a war that we thought would have been over. It's a war that we thought would have been over in a couple of Absolutely. months, and it hasn't Absolutely. happened. So, at what yeah. stage do you say? I mean, there were two protests yesterday. One was in Formoy, and one was above in Dublin, where traffic was stopped, and they were carrying placards saying "Irish first. You know, there's a there's an ever growing pushback. Uh, there's a, there is there is a pushback from from certain elements of society. Most Irish people are quite the contrary. Most Irish people say that these people are very welcome here. And we all remember, we remember that we were migrants ourselves. I was an economic migrant. I left Ireland. I went and got work elsewhere and built up uh, a living a living for myself. And uh, the, thing, the thing about migrants coming here is, regardless of where they come from, they work, they, contri- they all work. In the same way as Irish people, you know the reputation we had in America and in England and around Europe, we were workers. We went and we worked. And do we have a stat for the amount of people who are, who are skilled who have come from Ukraine, who, who are working or could work or want to work? Is there a number for that? Oh, there's a, well, there's already, I, I, I believe the figure, uh, and don't hold me to this, is uh, between 14,000, uh, around 14,000 of the Ukrainian refugees are already in work. And I mean, I look at a very good example of it is... Uh, down in, in Feathered in Tipperary, for instance, where, you know, the community have, have very accommodated a significant number of people in, in a local convent, convent and they've done up... And they the go out to work in the morning? And Exactly, okay. yeah. And the schools have, have, uh, have welcomed and have benefited from that influx of people into, into Feathered. And uh, the community have rallied around and the business community and so there is a general benefit okay. uh, which should never be overlooked. Okay, listen, we covered an awful lot of ground this morning. You answered a lot of questions. I'm obliged to you. Thank you. We'll stay in touch with you, Liam. But thanks for taking the call this morning. Appreciate it. Liam O'Dwyer from the Irish Red Cross. You can text 86 106 on that. Pick up the phone on 0818-104-106. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. On a free food Friday, because it is Friday. So uh, we get weekend to look forward to. It'd be a good way to start it with feeding for you and all of your buddies, mates or work colleagues. It'll feed at least 15, probably closer to 20 of you, courtesy of ourselves and Roosters, Piri Piri Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park. So text who you are and where you are to 0868-104-106. We'll start the shout-outs just after 10 this morning. And this lunchtime, the Red Patrollers will deliver free food Friday from Roosters Piri Piri to you and yours, up to 20 of you. But you've got to get in on the action by texting who you are and where you are to 86 I'll start the shout-outs after 10, and then on top of that, after 10, I'll also tell you exactly what will be delivered, and it will be some swag of nosh, I can tell you that. Uh, from yesterday's programme, a lot of texts and a huge amount of calls yesterday on the scenario involving the life and times of the school teacher Enoch Burke. Now, just to recap on that um, as to exactly what happened, and I'll get to calls then, um, and I'm reading from the Irish Times who put it very well this morning. Enoch Burke was suspended on the 24th of August last year after clashing with school management over a request from the principal, the then principal, that a transgender pupil be referred to as they rather than he. Um, Enoch Burke is the history and German teacher um, and is an evangelical Christian. And he said at the time that he could not comply with the request because to do so would violate his religious beliefs. 
So he continued to turn up for work despite having said what he said and being suspended pending an investigation. He continued to turn up for work. And then as a result of him continuing to turn up for work and to teach, the school secured an order restraining him from attending at its premises. He defied that. And then the High Court ordered on September 5th of last year that he be imprisoned, and he was. He was imprisoned for contempt of court, for contempt of court, by not following the order of the court. And he was incarcerated for 108 days. He's out of prison now. Um, And apparently one of the main reasons, even though he refused to purge his contempt, he was released last month because the judge said that he was exploiting his imprisonment for his own ends. And that's where the story pretty much lies. Uh, Anyway, I will come back to this with regards to the amount of text on it, but I'm conscious of phone calls as well. Uh, Nina, good morning. Good morning. Hello. Um, Good to talk with listeners overseas. You're in the Netherlands. So um, you're obviously following this story over there. Your thoughts? Well, uh, not sure where to start. Um, I heard yesterday a couple of conversations and some of them just uh, boiled my blood because, as I said in my text, I just cannot stay quiet. <clears throat> uh, I mean, I have, I don't, I, I I don't understand what what exactly is the problem when somebody chooses uh, I don't know another gender to when somebody is gay, be or or whatever. I don't understand where is the problem. How exactly does this affect anybody, really? Because it doesn't affect me. I can sleep. I can live. It it. It doesn't, somehow it doesn't bother me. And Well, a lot of people have been asking this. Here's one question for you. Why is it that the students' beliefs have to be respected, but the teacher, as in Enoch Burke, his beliefs are disrespected accordingly? First of all, um, in my opinion, religion has nothing to do in schools, workplace, and so on. I respect everybody's beliefs. Well, he believes in that, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's true. And yes, but if somebody has a, say for instance, if somebody has a belief in the workplace, here's another text. There are only two genders, male and female. The fact that the fact is that the rest of the people who say differently have mental health problems, as in gender dysphoria, and need compassionate help. That's an interesting one. But many people have been trying to say there are only two genders, male and female. What if in the workplace somebody has decided to change their gender and a colleague at work does not wish to refer to them as they or he instead of she or whatever the case may be, they could well be sacked for that. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, at my workplace, they we have a lot of people who identify with they. They even have it in their signature. And... Guess what? <laughs> nobody, nobody is offended by that. We all respect them, and we do not call them as we wish, as we, as per our opinion, we call them as they wish. If they wish to be called they, she, he, they are called 
like that. And, and in the it workplace, really in, in the workplace, if a mistake is made, genuine mistake is made, and you refer to somebody as a he or a she instead of they, um, what's the reaction? I wouldn't know because so far I haven't come to this yet. It, I don't think that it happened, honestly. And I mean, if it did, if it is an honest mistake, it's a, it's a mistake. It's something else than right. intentionally intentionally addressing them differently. Okay, but but it isn't a case that in the workplace people are walking around on eggshells fearing that they will make a mistake, no? No. Okay. No. Okay. I, okay. I, I mean, it's uh, it's uh, at least at um, at my workplace we are very open. We respect everybody. We have we have a lot of people which are um, which are gay and so on, and also trans, and and we accept them. We work together. We go for team buildings. We go okay. to lunches together. Yeah. We collaborate, and everybody is happy. Yeah. Do you think that there might be a generational thing? There was an interesting call yesterday saying that this will correct itself in time as the generations pass. You know, that younger generations will be much more open to embracing um, all sorts of people with all sorts of different yeah. wishes. Yeah. And, but that yes, the older generations maybe maybe are kind of slower or maybe a, a bit more set in their ways, Nina. Yeah, I, I mean, I... I really don't like to generalize and uh, I I don't think that it's, I mean, it's true that younger generation, they they are more open and everything and uh, older are more set in their ways. That's that's true. Um, But yes, I think it will improve in time and I also believe that I'm sorry but religion has a lot to do with it because they they are teaching one thing but they are doing another a lot of people go to church and they act completely differently as far as I know they teach that you should accept everybody that you should love everybody and I wonder so if they go to church so why do they not act this way. Why don't they accept everybody? And why do they then preach about um, that you should go to church and that you should teach your kids to go to church and everything? I, I think it's 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 wrong. Okay. And okay. if if something says is in Bible, it doesn't make it the law because. Uh, it's religion, it's not the law, it's separated from the law. So I am very sorry, but I truly do not care what does your priest say, what does religion say. I I, I really don't care because I, I don't go, I, I am not religious and I accept everybody. I am open to everybody okay. and okay. I see no difference between me and you. Okay. I, okay. I don't. You want people to live yeah. and let live. Yes, exactly. Okay. It's right. it's really it's really not that difficult. It's okay. it takes far more far more energy to 
to hate and to spread hate than to love. It, it takes more energy. It, it doesn't take any energy and nothing to accept and to love. Okay. It, it only brings you peace and warmth. Thank you so, for that. Thank you for that. Have yeah. a good weekend. Thanks for listening. In the Netherlands, Pat says, can I ask you how many genders there are? I will tell you, just in case you needed a biology lesson, Neil, and clearly you do, there are two. There can only ever be two, and there will only ever be two. Now, ask, now, people can believe whatever they wish to believe, but please don't ask me, just because our government is pushing this radical, ridiculous idea of new sexes, that I use the word sexes, because gender is what you are born with. You're either male or female, as far as your sex is concerned. If you can prove any other different sex, then I'll rethink what I've just said. So can you please tell me, other than male or female, what other sex is there? I agree totally 100% on Enoch Burke's stand. Another one here. Speaking as someone who was a tomboy growing up, playing soccer every day with the boys and dressing in Man United jerseys and with short hair, how do trans people know that they're in the wrong body if they aren't already in that body? How does a little girl know that they should be a boy if they don't already have the bodily requirements to be a boy. If my parents had been aware of transgenderism when I was a child, I might now be a very messed up person having gone through surgical procedures and indeed changing my name. What happened to tomboys or boys that love dolls and dressed up for fun? It's all gone insane. Uh, Melissa says, I'm speaking now as a very happy mother of three who loves being, who loves being a woman but loved pretending to be a boy as a child. I feel so lucky to have been a 90s kid with no social media. If someone can answer that question for me, I would be delighted. Okay, text 0868104106 on that and all other business. We're back after 10. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Free Food Friday, courtesy of ourselves and Roosters Piri Piri. I'll do some shout-outs in a few minutes' time. It also is day five, our final day, uh, and a fifth place now available to get into the final for a weekend or a midweek, whenever you want to go, because Vwelling fly twice weekly from Cork Airport direct to Paris Orly Airport. And we have a trip for two to Paris with return flights, accommodation, hotel accommodation in Paris, free car parking at Cork Airport. You'll also be uh, looked after in the Aspire Lounge at Cork Airport. Then you'll board your Vwelling.com flight and you're off to Paris. So Vwelling website details, Vwelling um, as I say, Vwelling.com, V-U-E-L-L-I-N-G. Uh, low-cost flights from Cork Airport to Paris. So the story is, uh, for the fifth day, your um, first eight stories. The good, the bad and the ugly, the funny, the sad. Uh, get texting on that, text 0868104106 and we'll finish out the week and pick a winner just before midday today. As well as that, of course, it is Friday the 13th today. How many people are spooked by Friday the 13th? I see a text from Susan says, I know you guys asked about fears on Friday the 13th. Yes, we did on social media last night. But she says, I'm going to go one better and tell you that myself and my husband got married on Friday the 13th. I'm sure you'll have lots of people in the horrors to hear that, says Susan. No, actually, I have some statistics that Kevin got yesterday from various hotels in Cork and 
I'll drill into it a bit later. Uh, but he actually called an awful lot of the more popular hotels on Leaside that have weddings, asking him that question. You know, were the booking dates for Friday the 13th different to other Fridays? And by and large, no. You know, those people who are getting married are just not bothered about getting married on Friday the 13th. Correct me if I'm wrong. So there's all that and lots more besides. And also want to do some free food Friday shout-outs as well, if you don't mind. So good morning. And uh, as they say in many of the texts, happy Friday. <laughs> Even though it wrecks my head. To all at Kirby Car Dismantling and Balanacara, busy getting customers back on the road. To everybody at Ward 3 of the Matter Private, all the nurses and the healthcare assistants on the ward working hard uh, through Christmas would like feeding Pat McDonald paints of the new store in Commons Road and they're listening all the staff at Laura National School in Bandon are listening this morning when they're not teaching the Brothers of Charity Day Service staff as well Absolute Property Group would love feeding and would love to win Free Food Friday for this week the Endoscopy Ward at the Matter Private at Citygate Ross Oils in Fernand Glintown Care Centre in Glanmar Unique Fit Out in Glanmar Easy Living Interiors in Little Island would love uh, a well-deserved lunch. Lots of them were off sick and they'd feel an awful lot better if they were fed. Makes sense to me. Foley's Plumbing and Electrical are also listening in Toker. Tusla at North Point Business Park in Blackpool. To all of the staff at the House of Herring Kinsale. Morning, Sandra. And everybody, Lehan Motors at the Airport Road, uh, MCM Technology in Harbour Point Business Park, Union Hall Smoked Fish, to all of the staff at Sean O'Leary's Groundworks in Kildinan, Morning Sean, Paddy, Turbo, Baby Turbo, Mike, Pat and Cameron. So there's Turbo and Baby Turbo. I won't ask. Father and son, I assume. I don't know. Transport services in Ballyvalan to everybody at Little Island Childcare Redemption Road in Blackpool at AP Vaughan Recycling in Tower. So keep those shout outs coming. Text who you are and where you are to 0868 104 106. And we'll do it in the next bunch of shout outs in about a half an hour's time. But actually, I want to talk to Simone and Jim in a few minutes' time. But Eliza, good morning. Good morning, Steve. Is it Eliza or is it Elisa? It is Elisa in Dutch. Elisa. I um, did an English degree and I studied in Cork for a while. I talked to you in May about that. Um, oh my, so I'm oh my, very all, much used to Elisa. All right. It's all it's all calls from the Netherlands this morning. This is like yes. Netherlands FM. But anyway. Yes, I'm sorry, by the way, for denouncing that the train is getting into the Okay, well, well, I won't station. keep you. Your contribution, please, no to the Enoch Burke saga. Yes. So I'm a Christian myself. Um, I am actually Anglican, which would be Church of Ireland in Ireland. But in the Netherlands, that's kind of mid way between Protestant and Catholic and what bugs me a little bit about you know Berg is that okay um, I don't know what I, go, I know I don't know what I'm going to do with Mr. Man there giving out the train times so come back oh in a couple, sorry yeah okay it's just 10 seconds I think but you can also call me back in a minute if I know, well, I'll wait the 10 seconds and then I'll leg it and come back okay. to you later on what's he, what's he saying incidentally the next train from oh, Dublin stops in Tolnes Limerick Junction Port Arlington a bit like that we're pulling into the final stop so he's saying we're pulling into the final stop please take your stuff with you okay he shut up now um, go on you can, yeah use, he shut up use okay the so I'm go a Christian ahead. I'm an Anglican um, which would be kind of midway between Protestant and Catholic here um, I know it's seen as Protestant in Ireland anyway um, what I think is that I'd rather sin by loving than by excluding sin you and said Enoch, sin by loving yes because yeah. yes because what Enoch Burke is doing is and a lot of transgender and anti-transgender Christians are doing is saying it's against the Bible, so we will reject it completely. But I think Jesus ultimately is a figure of loving, 
And even if it were a sin, I don't think we can make that choice now because a lot of the things that were said about sodomy and gender and sexuality were said in the context of the first century. That's right, um, yeah, 2,000 years like ago. Saint, Saint yeah. Paul. Yeah. Is it's a very complicated theological debate. Okay. Even. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. It's, it's interesting yeah. because a texter says to me, it always infringes upon their Christian rights when it's something that shows up the dark ages that they want to remain in. Jesus Christ hung around with lepers, washed the feet of prostitutes, and he would burn down the modern-day Catholic Church to the ground if you were here in 2023. Interesting text, isn't it? Oh, I'm sorry. They're clearly working here. I'm sorry. But yes, um, that's exactly my point. We, we are not to judge. And Jesus loves everyone. God loves everyone. And um, also, this is not about um, Christianity as a whole. He is just one Christian, and he can't make that. He he can't speak for all Christians. That's okay. also my point. Okay, okay, appreciate that. I'll let you get on with your travels. Thanks, Elisa. Nice Here talking to you. Cheers. I'm Take sorry it. for the noise. Your grand girl. Look after yourselves. Have a good weekend. Uh, Simone, good morning. Thanks. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Very well. Thanks for your text. Uh, better to talk on air. So your thoughts on this? Um, look, I just said I'd ring in. I'm ranting and raving all week inside the office to my colleague. And she said, ring in, ring in. So I said I'd ring in. And Neil, she's a lesbian. And God forbid, she's a practicing lesbian, Neil. She has a girlfriend. So we're listening to you all week. And to be honest, I'm infuriated with the way that that teacher treated that student. Um, I mean, I would have been, that's what I studied in college. I came from the teaching profession. And when you register with the teaching council, you sign the teaching council profession, um, the code of conduct. Yeah. And anybody can read that code of conduct. And if you look at, you know, the code of conduct and the professional values and relationships that you should have with students, it talks about inclusion, respecting, accommodating diversity, you know, looking at... um, the differences in gender, their family status, sexual orientation, you know? I know, but you know you know that there's a, a, a fair proportion of people, a percentage of people, who are not happy to gallop along with the changing world of inclusion. Absolutely, but as a teacher, when you register with the teaching council, you take that professional, you know, code of conduct. So regardless of what your religion is or what your stance on it is, when you register, you agree to conduct yourself professionally in that manner. I don't mean you know, to make light of this in any way, shape or form, but okay, let's say we go there. What happens then in the workplace or indeed in a secondary school where somebody identifies as an animal? As an animal, I know, look, I heard people saying that yesterday. I mean, yes. that's utterly ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I mean, people, uh, children identifying as animals, I'm, you don't hear it. I mean, a lot of children are identifying, you know, as, you know, non-binary or, you know, transgender. But I think that's a cop-out for them just to kind of make a mockery of it. To say, okay, oh, that that's not real-world experiences then. No, people saying, I am now a cat experience. or I am now a dog. No, I mean, I heard people yesterday talking about, oh, what if the t- teacher was Muslim? I mean... That's another, you know, that's an easy way. You know, I know, I know, well, yeah, I mean, Muslim or Christian, but I mean, you you, you wouldn't be giving somebody grief because of their religious beliefs in in a, in a, in a work setting. But, but just back to the issue there regarding um, presenting or identifying as an animal. The only reason I mentioned it is because I did read a story in the mirror that said that, uh, and, and here's a quote, a phenomenally bright teen girl is reportedly identifying as a cat at school in Australia. It's one of a number of cases recently reported in Australia 
the student is apparently allowed to act like a feline and be non-verbal while attending classes. It's a private school. It said is allowing the behaviour as long as she does not become a distraction to fellow pupils. Well, I mean, that's it. Like, I, I can't also in Brisbane, there's a group of four female students are said to have taken to walking on all fours, cutting holes in their uniform to make room for tails. Um, it's believed that they're identifying as either foxes or cats. Now, I'm not making a joke out of this. I'm just telling you this is happening. I know, but look, I mean, I can't comment on anything in Australia. And as you said there, look, as long as it's not distracting other students in the classroom and it's, it, it's out of respect, um, you know, I, I don't want to comment on that situation on, in Australia. But where do you I draw the I, line, though? Yeah, do you, you know? I know. I know. But I mean, if you are just going back to Burke, like if you if you register as a teacher in Ireland, you do sign you sign the code of professional conduct, you know. And even if they are acting as a cat or a dog, it says here, you know, in black and white, when when you sign and you register, that you accommodate diversity. Okay. 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 Yeah. All right. Absolutely. No, nice I one. can't. I'm I'm not sure. You know, a student acting like a, a, a cat or a dog. I haven't come across it myself. I haven't really heard of anything happening. No, like that no, no, nor have I. Apart from what I read about in, yeah. and this is not something that I got on on Facebook or you know and on you Instagram know, they're page. Really, they're really niche. You know, they're very niche things. There could be other things going on there with those students as well. You know. Yeah, but what what if it did happen though in a school setting? I mean, what you know, the teacher has to okay. Okay, I'm going to teach you uh, as best I can, even though you you won't talk and you think you're a cat, but I'll teach you all the same. Yeah, I mean, a lot of students are nonverbal. A lot of students are nonverbal. A lot of teachers are teaching students that are nonverbal as well. Yeah, okay. You know. Okay, all right. Nice one. Appreciate it, Simone. Thank you. Jim, good morning. Neil, how are you, boy? Good, good, good. Go ahead. you know, they laugh at some of that stuff there. I know, know, but it's not funny, and I don't mean to be ridiculing anybody. I'm just giving, I'm just stating facts. I here. Know, but yeah. So what, what happens if you get a guy? You know, he says he's a dog, and he's self chasing around. Is that okay in the school? I think, come on, like I, I don't, I actually don't know. I don't know yeah. at what stage yeah, you say what is and what isn't acceptable. I don't know. Yeah, but anyway, my only concern there, I know we've had on fight about kids, you know, and kids will end up being the the, the, the people that get hurt here, but. I'm a bit concerned about it, we'd say, if, if another student in the class gets the, the word wrong for calling the child the wrong name or something, do they get expelled? You know, are we destroying another child's life, you know, to protect one child? Do we lose two other children? What's the, what's the rule there? You know what I'm saying? Because yeah, I know. Is, it, is there discipli- yeah. is, would it be a disciplinary yeah. action in the event of that? Yeah. There you yeah. go. So does your child come home and he says, Mammy, uh, I can't go to school tomorrow. There's a letter there because I called Martina, who was Martin. Uh, the wrong name, you know. Um, what's what's the crack with him? That's crazy, you know, isn't it? Because we are going to get it. We are going to get it. I, and you're not you're not happy with this, are you? I mean, are you? Are, would you be a supporter of how of Enoch Burke and and, and critical of how he's been treated? Personally, I don't care what you identify as. I really don't. Right? That's and it should be kept that personal to the kid as well and to the parents. But to say these parents, you see, they want to get notoriety on something. That's where it all starts falling down. What do we get out to the teacher? I mean, we're not being told all the truth there either. We don't know what his background, full background, what was he been doing before this. And I, I'm sure somebody in this He's school... He's an evangelical uh, Christian. That's all we, we need to know. But somebody else in the school has it out for him because no one will get this aggressive against anyone. So there's something deeper going on there. Right. Haven't know. we come an awful long way, though? It's a very inter- texts are very interesting because they give loads of different perspectives on a story. Uh, and one texter here is saying, worse the fact of haven't we come an awful long way 
when, from when students were suspended or, or expelled for wearing different hairstyles or the way their hair was cut. That's so yesterday now when we're talking about gender identity, isn't it? Yeah, well, I suppose we're, we're mixing up people that might have small psychological problems which, you know, we're not catching it, no, because we just say, ah, that's okay, do what you want. You know, you can't go, like you go with the cat, come on, you can't go through like thinking you're a cat. You know, it's, there's, there's something wrong there, you know, that's, it's, you know, that's not right. I'm going to accept it, so people are going to get hurt. Yeah, it's going but, to do damage to kids. But in, in the sense I'm saying there's a cat that, that needs psychological intervention, but if somebody I'm, is trapped in the, in the wrong gender... They don't need, they, they may need psychological evaluation I, to help them on the journey to gender change. I don't, I don't think they do. So they're in the right body that they're happy with and they think they're female. That's fine. Just leave them alone. Mm. Mm. Like, I mean, why, why do we all have to get involved? And this is what's wrong. It's their parents want the whole world to get involved and they're doing damage to their own child. Leave the child alone. If that's what they want to do, it's fine with me. I don't know. I don't see any problem with it. Yeah, I, uh, I you, guarantee you that the child sitting next to him won't see a problem with it either because they're growing up in this generation that accepts all this. Yeah, okay. Okay, so t- you're there to teach. That's your job. Leave That's your beliefs your outside the door. And, and you watch all this is all this is comedy stuff and the kids are going to come over wrong. So we will see the day where some child gets expelled and that this will be because parents and adults arguing and they can't get over it. Okay, alright. Thanks, Jim. Enoch Burke is being forced to use a pronoun to protect the student's rights, but who is protecting his rights? Why is that Enoch is being punished for his religious beliefs when these beliefs are protected under racism laws? I'd love people's opinion on this. Uh, Mike says, I was taught that it was Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, not Adam and Steve. Uh, what would happen if the very same teacher arrived in the classroom before all this happened, dressed as a woman with high heels, tights, a wig, a miniskirt and makeup. I wonder what would the school have done then? The pupils, the parents, the parents association. What would they make of all that? Uh, build special schools for students who just don't know what gender they are. For God's sake, what the hell would be next, says Mike in Mallow. Uh, isn't that student putting his beliefs on that teacher and making the teacher bend in his beliefs that he's a girl when he is not. That's just a selection of texts. There are many more. Just one more. I said most teenagers are blackguarding. Maureen came back to clarify something she said on air yesterday. I said most teenagers are blackguarding and my Catholicism comes first for me. Uh, the transgender mob has hijacked. Uh, many of them don't want any... Uh, has hijacked the gay community and the gay community, many of whom don't want anything to do with them. Uh, Their beliefs is being pushed down our throats. The fact that the lady who was on the air after me doesn't seem to understand. She said she is happy with the man in her changing room or toilet. Well, that's her business, but I certainly will never tolerate it. And it goes right back to the stone wall. Uh, I don't know what you mean by by Stonewall, but thanks for the text and the clarification. Uh, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. On different topics we've been discussing this morning, Damien English betrayed the trust of the Irish people. There should be a by-election. He should not be allowed to remain as a TD until the next election. It's a disgrace that an online publication had to unearth his indiscretions. What were the standards in public office doing? Well, the ditch is a damn fine online uh, news uh, portal. It really and truly is. It was also behind the story of um, all sorts of issues within our planning authority 
within on board Planola. You remember that. Uh, and they also broke that story and have broken the one with regards to Damien English as well. The ditch. Um, many people then texting on hotels pulling out now. Their contracts will not be renewed for Ukrainian refugees because they want to go back uh, to being, uh, you know, accepting tourists. Well, Desi says the, the hotels are going to use this just to get more money out of the government. Same as the developers. They cry that it's not cost effective to build houses and they will take the government then to the cleaners, uh, as in the hotels have the state over a barrel. Um, the guy from Red Cross was talking about modular homes. Are these the same ones that an individual can't get planning permission for? What a joke. Many people questioning why there has been so much activity and now an even more panic again now in the new year with regards to uh, refugees, asylum seekers and those with international protection orders uh, when they do nothing for the Irish homeless. Uh, you're kidding yourself if you think the hotels will pull out. They know they have the government by the cojones uh, and the government will have no choice but to up the money to the hotels to keep the refugees in them. Um, <laughs> That could well be hardball that they're playing. You may well be right, and they could just be holding out for more money. I'm a self-employed man who is tax compliant. I'm ill at present, and my doctor told me to go on the sick leave as I just must rest. I was refused um, sick leave welfare um, because I'm self-employed. Yet my taxes are used to pay for everything for so-called refugees. What about me? How am I now supposed to live can come on as I have to continue to work ill. Don't give her my details as I work with the public. I find it, as a tax-compliant, self-employed man, very, very unfair. Uh, I have a friend employing Ukrainians. Uh, their breakfast and lunch is packed for them by the hotel before they leave for work. One of them here is here eight months and has saved €18,000 in his Irish account. This is nothing short of a joke. They have no electric bills, nothing. I work in construction and we cannot get men. We even offered men in the Fromoy area work and they said they wouldn't work for less than €700 Euro a week take-home pay. Um, if Ukrainian fighting-age men aren't hiding in Ireland and out on the road, um, they're draining tens of millions from vulnerable Irish people who are in desperate need of support themselves. Um, that's an interesting text from Sean. Keep them coming. And we'll pick it up again a little later on this morning. Text 0868 uh, Can I mention, uh, Seamus took to the streets of Cork the other day, actually, after Guinness announced that they were putting their prices up, Diageo putting their prices. It could be 40 cent more expensive now, for instance, for a pint of Guinness or a Hop House or something like that, or Carlsberg from the first day of February. But, yay, Cork are posting this morning that the Clancy Group, that's Monty's group, uh, they own Clancy's, Conway's Yard, Atlas on Shebeen and the recently opened JJ Walsh's that they're actually reducing the prices of their drink and they're going to have a price of a fiver on all pints and long drinks. I have a notion. Would somebody please tell me what a long drink is? <laughs> what is that like? Is it a cocktail in a long glass? Or Well, anyway, pints, uh, a fiver. Um, and they're also going to cut the prices of their low-alcohol beverages also. Um, they're saying that it's been turbulent for hospitality, but customers have remained loyal and they want to be loyal back. And as a thank you for their fantastic support, they want to uh, give something back. And that involves uh, announcing a price drop, all pints, a fiver. How long it will be, I don't know. Thank you. A long drink is apparently a spirit and a mixer in a glass. 
a spirit and a mixer in a glass would be a gin and tonic. Yeah. Mind you, gin and tonics now come in these massive, enormous goldfish bowl glasses. But anyway, so pints and shorts and mixers. You wouldn't have a pint and a short and a mixer for a fiver, though. They just dropped the price on them. But fiver for pints. Anyway, to the streets of Cork you went, chatting with people about the recent increase. Uh, how far will people follow the price of a pint, huh? I still drink. Will you? <laughs> Uh, do you think it's warranted when they had reported profits of 4.4 billion no, pounds I sterling? I, I know it's not, but just I, I like an old pint, and I've been drinking a pint for 70 years, so I'm not going to stop now. And, like, how far would it have to go to for you to stop drinking no, the pints? No, I won't stop. I only have how, a few. how much would a pint cost now before you, you, you just think twice? I've drank a pint. For uh, one shilling and twopence, one shilling and two pence. That's, uh, that's in today's run is about uh, what sixpence, sevenpence. It would have to go out of into orbit. You know, I go to Europe and, and alcohol is a lot cheaper, and which is nice. So, but I don't know if it, the the rest of Europe has the same attitude towards alcohol I don't know you know I honestly don't know so I do think it would be hard for the pubs I think people are probably buying especially after Covid they're probably buying more to take home and and that that could lead to loneliness then if you're drinking at home on your own yeah it's true there's lots of things it's a very multifaceted issue and I'm not sure that I have the wisdom to to give a good answer to you at the end of the day realistically they can do all they want because people are still going to be buying the products they're still going to be drinking pints of Guinness inside the pubs whether they should be doing it personally I don't think so because what you said is true then they're making plenty enough money as it is but again there's a demand so I suppose that they're they can realistically they can do what they want either either way and we the people are just either going to stop it or we're just going to carry on drinking I'd say do you think it might uh, might force other bars to go to craft beers it could very well as a result because I noticed that one thing is that there is a staggering increase in craft beer places like with the open of Brewdog now in Cork City actually it just seems to be more places popping up like that and even for some of the larger places like they'd be charging nearly nearly the bones of six euro for a pint of Guinness which I think is ridiculous as, a man, as someone coming from Limerick I even noticed that like the pints of uh, Guinness are like you know slightly cheaper but still it makes it it makes a difference so coming from Limerick would be the would they be similar in cost as the Dahl Bar in Dublin for instance a 480 oh, no, a pint no. or 550 for a glass of wine they're often that in the doll bar that's crazy yeah I just know that in some places in Limerick it's like 490 or uh, 480 but in, in some places in Limerick but Jesus if you're getting prices like that in Dublin there's only one place to go I suppose oh I suppose just commerce and that's it no it's never wanted an increase in any tea is never wanted especially not drink no why not well, you know, I have to when a fellow go up for a few pints, they made enough during the pandemic. They got I looked after. How much would the pint have to go before you stop? Oh, well, well, once there, sir, we said we, we'd follow it to Fiverr. There's a friend of mine, he's gone to Australia, and that was about 30 years ago. He said I'd follow it to Fiverr, but he bailed out. So, 
I'm not fighting, but you crept for a while, I suppose, and then the measure's over. A fella said if it's only 25 cents, you want them eight points, like that's 25 cents, and to you, whatever you normally pay, like. And uh, what do you make of the doll bar now selling a pint of the black stuff for €4.80 Euro and a glass of wine, house wine, for uh, €5.50? But see, they crowded on this again, nothing like the same. They're, they're crowded to make the money still off the, off the point to make more. So Why is that? Because they're all Republicans, is it? No, there's a few of them there as well. And they're not Republicans, they're publicans. A pint? Yeah. I wouldn't drink a pint now myself. I'd be a gin and tonic lady. <laughs> Doesn't affect me too much. Cart dry gin, is it? Oh, God, no. <laughs> Fancier stuff than that. <laughs> it's the encouragement I need to give it up. Is it enough encouragement or will they have to put it up a bit more? Not a lot. <laughs> I think this, this is crazy. I think they're, they're, they're pricing themselves out of the, the market altogether. You know? There'd be nobody going into pubs. They'd but be... sure, Heineken did it last month. They, they did. They, they went did. up 17 cents. But there was a lot of people uh, uh, opposed to that. But what can you do? Do you know what I mean? Do you think it's the debt nail low for the pub trade? It is a debt. It's the debt blow for them. They're, they're closing. Where I come from now, they're closing... They don't open until 5 o'clock in the evening. And with this new price coming up, people can't afford it. They won't open till 8 or 9 o'clock at night. You know? Would you go to home brewing, brew your own? No, I wouldn't like it that way. But I'd, I'd go and have a, a pint now at maybe 8 o'clock at night. Go home about 10 then. That'd be it, you know? I know a lot of pubs now are going to craft beers, but then again, you've got the, your Diageos and your Heineken's doing craft beers, so you don't yeah. know who you're supporting. Who you're supporting. That's correct. That's great. But I see a lot of people going to uh, Lidl and Tesco's and all that now for the drinking when you're home, like. Yeah. You know, and even where I'm from there in Yall, you can walk down the back street, down around the back where the keys are, and you can see our cans run all over the place here. Yeah, people are just drinking that stuff out. Outside. Do you think it would add to rural isolation now because they can't afford to go to the pub, they can't, they can't get a spin home? Correct, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. That's absolutely crazy. What, what can you do with this? As I said there before, that you can know about it. How far would the cost of the pint have to go before you'd stop drinking? Oh, jeez. Like, I'm a very moderate drinker, but uh, I suppose... I'd pay five or six euro anyways, was. What? You know? and, and nothing after that? Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go beyond that, like, really, you know? Yeah. I mean, the local pub, I can get a pint for a fiver. Yeah. You know, I know it's gone up now since yeah. then, but uh, I'd say I'd still get it at a fiver. And a lot of people then texting on this from the last couple of days. One chap says, uh, you spend so long listening to people complaining about 12 cent on a pint. Well, it's more likely to be 30 to 40 cent on the pint, which is, at the end of the day, a luxury. I deliver bread for a living. My white slice pan has gone from one forty nine to €2.09 in 10 months. There's been three price rises uh, no one is mentioning it. The brown has gone from one ninety nine slice pan to two sixty nine. Uh, how much of that really are those increases have to do with energy, fuel costs, war on Ukraine? How much of it has to do with opportunity? Um, and I suppose you're the cot at the end of the day. You're delivering it to your customers and they probably will end up maybe taking less from you or trying to find it cheaper. Uh, I don't know if you know it, but Heineken used to give their working staff who are now pensioners two free slabs of beer at Christmas. They have stopped this since the pandemic started, which is unfortunate. Uh, My son was taking antibiotics, so he went off the drink. He went into a pub to get a Heineken Zero and was charged €8.50 for it in Dunmanway. 
Um, in another pub not too far away, €6.50. €8.50 is completely insane. That is totally and utterly off the charts. And then from the Banshees of Indusheeran from earlier in the week, I won't be spoiling anything. People are livid with me. Somebody says, you know something? I'd only, I had only watched half of the film and I was going to watch the rest the next day. You destroyed it. Yeah, I actually yeah, I thought it was okay now to talk about the storyline. Clearly it wasn't. But then, I don't know if it's somebody from a farming background or whatever, but in, par- in part of the film, forgive me for saying it, uh, the donkey eats something that the donkey should not eat. See, I can't even, I can't even tell you what it's about. Um, uh, it probably is too late, but I still don't want to go back and repeat what I've already said. Um, but a donkey would never do that. A goat might. A pig definitely would, but not a donkey. Good show, but inaccurate, written for the American audience. They'd swallow it just like the donkey did. Now, for those of you that have seen the film and know what we're talking about, that's all very well. But for those of you that haven't, I won't spoil it. Uh, One final one. Helen says that Martin McDonough's films are just so dark. After seeing In Bruges, I would never go see another. And in Bruges, or actually Bruges itself, is such a lovely city, but the film didn't do it any favours. I have to disagree. I thought it did. Looks like a beautiful city to me. And I want to go. Um, and I actually enjoyed in Bruges. I didn't think I would, but I certainly did. And, and I don't know why I've been sent this, because this clearly has been sent by somebody who's a taxi driver to lots of other taxi drivers with regards to what was deemed to have been by this texter, taxi bashing. Morning all. Following on from yesterday's taxi bashing on Red FM, uh, apart from the host who, it seems, keeps pushing the Uber agenda, uh, but didn't give the taxi drivers who spoke on his show a fair and equal hearing, and he allowed unchecked statements to be made by his listeners, I am now asking you all to boycott all media and radio outlets. The reason is quite simple. We get battered, and the actual facts are never used. In short, a quiet news day attacks the taxi industry. There are drivers being attacked in our workplace with no help from Mangarda Shikona. Why would we even report the attacks anymore? And we now have to endure attacks from the media and the government. Uh, Also, I think we should pick a Saturday night this month and withdraw services at midnight and leave the guards, the media and the government to come in and clear the streets. Uh, so that was a text. I, I, I ended up being sent it. So obviously some somebody must have just passed it on who actually received it. I think it's unfortunate because, again, um, yeah, there was criticism and, and people are always talking about the fact that they can't get home at night on a busy night. Uh, there also is a statistical fact that more taxi drivers are working by day than by night. All, all of those things. But I never let an opportunity pass uh, where I don't say what important work that members of the taxi industry do in Cork and also... I constantly report any of the attacks and robberies that taxi drivers have to deal with whenever I hear of them on the air. And I have often said that a taxi driver has to make a call in a split second as to who they let and don't let into a taxi. I mean, that's just going some way in my defence. But I I accept that you're entitled to be critical of what I do or topics of conversation that I bring up on air. Uh, Back to the phone lines we go. Michelle, good morning. Morning. Uh, Thank you. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I oh, can. All right, we were talking about Enoch Burke and then we were talking about different aspects of what happened to him and the ever-changing world of inclusion. Your thoughts? Um, yes, as I said, I texted into, like I said in my text, um, that my my 14-year-old girl was in a dance um, A dance show? Over the Christmas. Yeah, a, concert, a dance yeah, show, yeah. yeah. 
And so there's probably about 20, 25 girls between... Um, Sorry, now I'm nervous. Your grand girl, you're um, only telling me something. <laughs> you were only chatting and there was a lot right. of costume changes in that dance yes. show. So there's like probably about 20, 25 girls aged between 14 and 16 and there's one boy and he's transgender and um, my daughter said that he kept coming into their dressing rooms wanting to change with them. No, she wasn't making the fuss. She was kind of more rolling her eyes. Anything else? And I said to her, I said, you know, obviously at 14, she's conscious of herself, you know, at that age. So, um, and she was saying he was just coming in, hanging around, wanting to get changed. And I said, look, do you want me to say something to the teacher? And I usually wouldn't get involved. I'd kind of say, go off and sort it off yourself. Did she ask you not to get involved? Yes. Okay. Yes. She kind of okay. said, ma'am, she said, um, it's grand. She said, nice to um but she said, no, she said, the teacher told him that he can't. No, I just said, like, again, his age is probably between 14 and 16 as well. Okay. So do you and know said, how he reacted to being told well, you're not yes. allowed in there? Yes. Um, seeing he got, you know, offensive and said um, that he was transgender and that he wanted to be in with the girls and, um, and things like that. So I think the teacher just kind of put her foot down and said no. Okay. So, okay. but uh, you know, I felt if I was his parent, I mean, um, I don't know the situation, but I would explain to him, you know, you know, you can't kind of be doing that either. You know, there's twenty girls there. You know, they feel uncomfortable. You're going to have to think of other people's thoughts on on the situation as well. But you that, know, that means case. that we that means that the, for to follow that narrative, that we will need a third changing room. Doesn't it? Well, I don't know. I and, don't and, know. And those then that would be transgender, say born male but identifying as female, will then feel that they shouldn't have to go into a third changing room because they are identifying as female. Yeah, I don't know. So it's a grey area, isn't it? Yeah, totally. But I, I just felt it was just... It was just, as my daughter said, it was weird. But do you, do you think <laughs> you know? that maybe some parent of one of the girls actually did complain to the teacher? And that's why I, the teacher said, no, you can't go in there anymore. Maybe, because the show did go on for a few weeks and that. So, um, you know, maybe they did. And as I said, and my daughter's not like that. She wouldn't kind of say things unless it's kind of affecting her. You know, that kind of way. She but did, of, did you get a sense from her that the girls were uncomfortable with the Yes. Yeah. Yes, totally, yes. They yeah. were? Yeah, they were. Um, she said he was just in there, kind of hanging around. And I know now those kind of things are all kind of backstage and having fun and things like that. But she said, you know, as she said, ma'am, it was weird. She said, you know, he was just kind of in there, hanging around. And and I think the girls like that were kind of self-conscious of themselves, getting dressed, you know, that age in the home, you know, they're all in the, you know, know, covering know, up I and things know. like that. Yeah, 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 so yeah. she said, you know, and I think then it was just going too far. And the teacher kind of said, you know, no, you know. No, and then should the teacher then runs the risk then of the of of clearly the boy got upset and um you, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, so and, and his parents could, his parents then could get involved in it and exactly. before you know it yeah. what what's going to happen with the dance teacher exactly yeah you know so you don't know you know there's not an effect there but um it's complicated as I said as I said my concern was my daughter you yeah, know that know. kind of way yeah, and yeah. if she wasn't if she didn't feel comfortable and I said to her if you were if you know. I didn't like it either. Yeah. You know, that kind of way. So, and I said to her, if you're not feeling comfortable, I'll have a chat. All I, all I can do is have a chat. 
And she said, no, ma'am, she said, it's okay, it's sorted. Okay, so all right, nice one, so thanks, that's Michelle. that's another side of it, okay? Yeah, it's complicated. Thank you so much for that text, 0868104106. Um, if you look at definitions, actually, there's a big difference between the definition of sex and the definition of gender. Now, sex is usually categorized as female or male, all right? Um, but there is a variation in the biological attributes that comprise sex and those attributed and things like that. That's that. That's part of the definition, but the important part here is sex is usually categorized as female or male, but gender is different. Gender refers to the socially constructed roles. Gender refers to behaviors, expressions, and identities. Um, and that would be the identity that you might want to present socially as a girl, a woman, a boy, a man, or gender diverse. So that's the difference. There is a difference between being uh, categorized with regards to your sex or indeed your gender. And it's the gender description, of course, that is many, many people talking. Back after the break, text 0868104106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. Red FM. Text on this one. I work with teenagers in an education setting. Actually, it's called an alternative education setting. I believe we need to meet young people where they are at. They are on a journey of self-discovery and should be free to express themselves in a supported, understanding environment. The line is drawn when their behavior is distracting or disrespectful to the rest of the group, which rarely happens in my experience. Comparing transitioning genders to turning into an animal is a ridiculous argument to make. People identifying as animals is so few and far between. It is not relevant to the mainstream population. Unlike gender Sorry, unlike gender dysphoria, which we are seeing regularly now in the educational system. From my experience, young people themselves are so accepting and understanding and really don't see it as a big deal if their classmate transitions or identifies as gender neutral. Uh, can come on air, but it's an interesting discussion. Yeah, and uh, you, you sent that text, I think, before you heard the mother of a 14-year-old involved in, um, you know, a, a show um, that was on stage for a few weeks where, where there was one uh, transgender male who identifies as female that wanted to use the girls' changing area and the dance teacher wouldn't allow it. So you see, it can become it can become complicated then in a real-world scenario, I suppose. Okay, it's a free food Friday. Your opportunity to scoop food for up to 15 of you, perhaps 20. It's more likely to be uh, 20 of you will be fed because it's a serious amount of food. So what's involved from... Roosters, Piri Piri, Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park. Well, you'll start with chicken wings, chicken skewers and beef skewers. Then the main event, chicken wraps, chicken pittas and beef burgers. Basted in the famous Piri Piri sauce. And for sides, the Piri salted fries, uh, rice and waffle fries. We've got Piri mayo and the garlic mayo. And then you build your own dessert. You get these massive cheesecakes and cut your own slices and put your own topping on it. All sorts of different toppings. And that's courtesy of ourselves and Roosters, Piri Piri, Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park. You can check the menu out yourself at roosterspiripiri.com. So keep those uh, free Food Friday shout-outs coming. DCN Development in Glanmire are listening to all of the staff. Good morning to you. Roger Kennedy and all the staff at the Pet Shop at the Kinsale Road Roundabout. Uh, and uh, Rose texted in, TLC Unlimited Creche and Preschool in Blarney. Would love some feeding, including Louisa, Naringa and Bernadetta. Um, it's been a tough week, they said. Uh, everybody at Rockwell Engineering in Clahine would love feeding. They're all listening to all of the staff listening at Scannell's Pharmacy in Ballanine, AOC Commercials in Carrick Tool, Shipping Solutions, Andrea and the staff 
are looking for a slap-up meal to be delivered while working. Why wouldn't they? Uh, they're all starving, including Scrappy and all the gang at Corp Metal in Dublin Hill. Uh, to the transport section of Cope Foundation, Sean, Eileen, Noel, Jim and Jenny. Be a great way to start the weekend. Nine Yard Logistics in Little Island, the Environmental Department at the HSC, everybody at Aer Lingus Loading Section at Cork Airport would love feeding. Drina, Co-op, are listening down on West Cork. The staff at the South Main Street Cope Foundation, everybody at Customware in Douglas, Barry Joyce's calls at the top of Fair Hill, Easy Living in Little Island, O'Sullivan's Pharmacy in Grange, and just a few more, Ladies Bridge Aggregates in Middleton, um, Dennehy's Health and Fitness, Penrose Dog, Area Carpets and Flooring, Hennessy's Hair Supplies, the Immunisation Department at Mallow Primary Healthcare, O'Donovan Pharmacies in Balafihan, and everybody at the Operations and Transport Team at National Seaways Down in the Port of Cork. An impressive place, the Port of Cork. We'll do one more bunch of shout-outs in about half an hour's time, so text who you are and where you are to 0868 Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Tell about the ever-changing world we live in, being generational, right? And you know of Generation um, Z, uh, or Z, probably as they're calling it now. There's a lovely story making the sun this morning that talks about um, the things that are no longer acceptable. That's funny, actually. You gave me that pen and you'll understand why in a second. Let me just put a pen into my hand. I'll tell you about that in a second. But the things that they say are totally uncool. Do you want to jump in on this, actually, Glenn, while you're there? Because i got about two minutes. Um, you know, two thumbs up. It's just completely and utterly old school. It is very old school, yeah. It is. Oh, no, Neil. No, no, no. Don't do it. Playing the air guitar. Ah, uh, is it? Totally unacceptable <laughs> now. And you can't rock out with the air no, guitar They anymore. just say it's old school. It's old fashioned. It's mortifying. Doing this. Shh. Really? I, I think that's the height of rudeness, putting your finger on front of your lips and telling somebody to shush. How would you do it to your kids? I wouldn't do it to uh, another adult. I think it's, I, I don't know, would you? Yeah. Yeah. In mass? Shh. Yeah, yeah, okay, but you well, you certainly wouldn't do it to an adult. No, I wouldn't. Okay. No, 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 no. Okay, so that's out as well. But the one that I absolutely love with regards to gestures, do you know what this is? What and so see, kind of shaking his hand as if I've got a pen in it. No. But I, I did this through the screen and Claire ran in with a pen. Do you know what that is? No. It's asking for the bill. Oh, as in like that. Yeah. I do it more squiggly, <laughs> like a radio wave. You're mortifying youngsters when you do that, apparently. Oh, really? They find it mortifying. What are you doing? Well, actually, what I find mortifying... It's like, it's writing... It's, you're doing it as if you're writing an invisible check. Yeah. you got to stop to... I don't know how you're going to ask for the bill, but you can't do that anymore. Well, do you know what I think is worse? Is, you know, when you ask a man where the toilets are when you're out? No. They can never do it discreetly. They have to do the whole... It's over there, big point, standing up. And I'm like, oh my God, great. The whole place knows I'm getting up to go to the loo. <laughs> and I have the walk of shame now. Thanks. <laughs> There's... <laughs> <laughs> That's what I hate. There's, there's another one then that I do all of the time and the kids just, my son, they're far from kids, they laugh. If I want a pepper grinder, I, yeah. do, I do this. Yeah. I put the two hands together, one yeah. top the other, and I do like as if I'm stroking a turkey. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong. I'm getting old, Neil. Oh, God. I don't see anything wrong with that. Oh, I love these kind of things. We need to be on red alert all of the time as the things that are and are not acceptable. Very appropriate. Anyway, yes. I'm out of time. It's your gig. Over to you. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Prenderville Show A good buddy of mine got on to me during the week Mark Mullen uh, We soldiered well in radio for many years And he said he was having a quiet pint there recently And a game of pool um, At uh, the Bell Inn Bar 
down McCroom Way and uh, somebody came up and was mad keen to chat with him and her name is Maura Toomey and he said I was accosted by one of your fans <laughs> a very excited Maura Toomey who works at McCroom Blinds you Neil apparently visited McCroom Blinds some months ago I did and we had the greatest crack they're the greatest bunch and they did me a big favour by repairing a blind for me which was fantastic but we had a great chat I must have been in there for close on an hour just chatting with him. But anyway, he got in touch with me to say, you need to give a big shout-out to Maura Toomey from Clondrohid. Uh, and make sure you do it on Friday morning because she's celebrating her 50th birthday on Sunday. And I know they're listening to me right now, right down there in McCroom, down at McCroom Blinds, because they always do. So happy birthday for the weekend, Maura. Lovely meeting you. Delighted that uh, you're in great form. Uh, and Mert Mullen was telling me that you had a good old chat with him in the pub. Um, so happy birthday for the weekend. Happy 50th and good morning to all of the staff down at McCroom Blinds as well. Have a great weekend. Uh, next time you bump into Mert Mullen, tell him buy you a pint on me. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. So it is um, Friday the 13th. See an amount of text coming in on that. Love to know how superstitious people are. You know, would you walk under a ladder, for instance? Do you wave at magpies? Things like that. Here's a few texts on it. I'm a pet stylist. It's Friday the 13th every day. Anything can happen. But I have to admit today, I will definitely be a little more cautious with the scissors around their ears, says Kate. Uh, Nah. Uh, I've bad luck every day, so Friday the 13th just won't be an exception. Um, Mossy says, I always salute a single magpie. And I would never walk under a ladder, ever. Why, though? I suppose you wouldn't have to be superstitious not to walk under a ladder. It's probably a dangerous thing to do anyway. I met my husband on Friday the 13th. We're married 46 years, so I didn't do too bad, says Catherine. Um, This fear of Fridays is para-sca-vida-cada-triophobia. And it was coined by a psychotherapist, a specialist in phobias, to describe an intense and irrational fear of Friday the 13th. Most likely, the fear exists as a result of merging traditions. In the Christian tradition, the death of Jesus took place on a Friday, following the presence of 13 people at the Last Supper. In Teutonic legend, the god Loki appears at a dinner party seated for 12 gods, making him the outcast of 13. But there is so much fabulous folklore that surrounds the date. I just love reading about people's experiences and superstitions, says Angie. Well, thank you for giving me a few reasons as to why we have a superstitious day on Friday the 13th. Samantha says, I'm so superstitious, I can't even take the bottle of holy water out of the car that it came with. (laughs) My beautiful, caring, kind granddaughter Faye was born on Friday the 13th. She'll be 15 next birthday. I cried with joy. So for us, it's been lucky. Uh, My nan hated that date so much She wouldn't even go outside the door for the entire day. So there's just a few. As to whether one should get married on Friday the 13th, Kevin called. You called, I heard you calling a lot of hotels yesterday. Yeah, not just hotels, but also wedding planners. And how'd Um, it go? Well, like, uh, look, I'm of the age now where, you know, weddings are on my mind. Uh, I'm always looking for a way to try and, you know, Make sure you can raise... Cut down Make sure on the you can raise thirty grand. Then, yeah, absolutely. Well, I might be, uh, you know, um, surreptitiously entering some of your competitions in future. But uh, I don't know. I don't he know. even pays anymore. It's usually the father of the bride, is it? Well, God, no, we had to pay for our own. Oh, for God's sake! Ah, yeah, no, no. Modern times now, Neil. Come on, keep up, keep up. Say <laughs> well, it again. You, I didn't ask the father-in-law for his permission. <laughs> 
and therefore he didn't divvy up. But hey, what did the hotel so, say? So, yeah, I was saying I'm always looking for a way to cut down on costs, so I was ringing them to see whether they give me my wedding any cheaper if it was on Friday the 13th. And? <laughs> no, sadly not. No, they said, uh, they said no, none of them really said that uh, any, like, it really affects people They don't reduce much. the price. They don't reduce the price. They don't find bookings are down. Now, obviously, today they said the bookings, so, uh, two of the, the five hotels I rang didn't have a, a wedding booking for today, but they said that's just because it's January. All right. People don't want to get married in January. But, um, cheaper. Yeah, well, I don't know why. You'd get it cheaper in January, wouldn't you? I suppose, but then you're kind of after Christmas, so you're kind of cost. Okay. I, don't, okay. I, I, I don't know you're asking people either. to pay in. Yeah, anyway, what you found was that there is no difference whatsoever, for, and Friday's the big wedding day, but there's no drop-off on the 13th. And one of the hotels even told me that one of the couples they've had recently, their door number was 13, so they actually wanted to be married on Friday the 13th, because they believed it to be a lucky number. But isn't it true that there are no 13th floor in a hotel? Isn't it true that it's a lucky to have 13 people at a dinner table? Isn't it true True, even that airplanes mm. don't have a, a don't have 13 the row 13 this is an interesting one just on the airplane so loads of airlines do this right across the world so like from Singapore Airlines through United Airlines through KLM Lufthansa even British Airways even Ryanair they skip row 13 but uh, sorry British Airways don't skip row 13 and one of the other companies that don't skip row 13 there is a row 13 on all Aer Lingus flights right. and if you're sitting in row 13 on an Airbus A320 flying from wherever you are in Europe to wherever you are in Ireland you will be sitting on the emergency exit row so at least if you're superstitious you'll be able to get out pretty quickly if but you it need is, to. there isn't a 13th floor in hotels it, I, it must depend on though I, I, it's never something that I kind of consciously thought of I generally tend to stay in hotels that don't have more than four or five floors I don't know about you maybe in your New York or when you go to I Vancouver in these places remember, you stay I can't in the, remember the hotel hotels but I just I'm just it might be an idea why don't you call the, the Maldron or something or, see if they have a 13th floor yeah and the Dean would wonder they, they would be the size yeah but I, I was actually shocked that airplanes wouldn't have it it seems kind of Unnecessary. So if you fly on a uh, Ryanair flight, there will be 33 rows numbered, but only 32 <laughs> rows on the actual plane, which must be really annoying if you have OCD. Like that must really trigger your OCD if you go from 12 to straight to 14 and then you have 33 at the back when you should have 32. Uh, I, don't I, don't know, know. I don't know. I'm getting dizzy. <laughs> li- I'm getting dizzy even thinking about <laughs> rows and heights of hotels. Anyway, get texting, guys. Text 0868 Yeah, go first class and you won't have any problems with that. It'll be just one, two, three, and four or what have you. Anyway, what is the significance of it? Where did it all come from? Shane Lehan is a folklorist uh, at UCC. I wanted to chat with him about other things and I'll come to the other topics in a couple of seconds time. But just regard to Friday the 13th, Shane, what's it all about and where did it all come from? Uh, great, to, great to talk to you, Neil. Yeah, listen, I've spent my life lecturing in aspects of folklore and superstitions and all sorts of traditions and I'm listening there with lovely, with your listeners phoning in telling us all the things they're afraid of, but to understand Friday the 13th, you really have to split the, the day of the week, Friday, and the number 13 apart. So let's, let's take 13 just for a moment. Yeah. And I, you, you had a great, wonderful insights this morning, really interesting. But, you know, one of the things about 13 is that it's not 12, okay? <laughs> and because 12, 12 is actually the magic number. 12 is something that has been ingrained into all our 
psyches over time, particularly when you think about it, that there are, we, we have the month, the month, of course, is the moon, and there are 12 moons in the solar year. So yeah. In the year, there is always 12. So 12 is a magic number. The, the other one is that when people were reckoning, when they were counting and they were trading long ago, before there was any writing or anything like that, they used to actually take their, hold their hand out. Do this for me, Neil, there for a moment. Got it. Hold your palm facing at the moment, okay? Yeah. Look at your fingers for yeah. me, okay? Yeah. And take your thumb and count. So if you look at the divisions on your fingers, you go one, two, three, up your, up your baby finger, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. So everything was divided into 12. So when you think about it, there are 12 bottles of wine in the case, there are 12 in a dozen, there are 12 inches in the, uh, in the foot. Except uh, in, lo- in bread, there's the baker's dozen, which is 13. Ba- well, we'll, we'll, c- we'll come to that, you see, and that's the point. That's where the 13 comes in. And, and let's say, but even long ago, you had 12 pence in the shilling. 12, 12 inches in, in a foot. Pound, yes. Yeah, all of those sort of things. Okay, so 12 was... was 12 it, apostles. So 12 apostles. So when you started to trade in the past, okay, let's say you were giving, let's say you were going, your baker's dozen for a moment, okay, the 13th was given to you because you, it was going to be the, probably it was for luck. That was the luck one, 13, but it wasn't really luck. What happened is you were securing the 12 and you would be happy with that because one of them mightn't be up to scratch and mightn't be any good and the 13th one was in many ways the inferior one. So likewise, let's say you were going home with your, your 12 bottles of beer or your 12 bottles of wine, you were given the 13th and the 13th might have broken, it might have been off or whatever. So the 13th always became the symbol of the unlucky one. It's really interesting in Irish folk tradition, for example, if, if a hen was broody, and you were putting down eggs, you would never put down 12 eggs because by putting down 12 eggs, one of them might go, might, might hatch out and so on. So the 13th egg, you always put down 13 eggs, no more than 13. It was unlucky to be too greedy, but one of them might hatch out, but you had your 12 secure. So 13 has always become this sort of uh, negative. It's always a, due to the runt, the inferior, gotcha. the extra, and the one that was a fail. And yeah. when then did it, um, did it migrate into superstitions? I mean, is this a hundred years old, a thousand years old or what? Only, I would say this is deep into our psyche, right back into, into the ancient past, into antiquity, no problem at all. But in fact, I think actually Friday the 13th is quite a new invention. I come to that. Just That's the one second. I'm talking about. The Friday yeah. the Thirteenth. How old yeah. is that phenomenon? Yeah, I I don't think it's old at all. I don't think it is because the second thing, like I spend my life talking about lucky days and unlucky days, and every day is lucky and unlucky for different reasons. But Friday has always been a really positive day. Just say that to you, okay? Friday is we call Dehina, and you remember, and I remember, long ago we used to be eating fish on a Friday all yeah. because every Friday was associated with Good Friday. And Good Friday with the crucifixion of Christ was actually considered to be the luckiest day of all because with the crucifixion of Christ, con- contrary to what you might think, counterintuitive, you might say, um, what happened is everything you did on that day was going to increase, was going to resurrect and so on. So the beginning almost of the new year in the past was on Good Friday, a movable feast uh, granted. But what happens then is that everything that you would do on a Friday, so for example, you would never start anything on a Saturday, for example, because Sunday was a day of rest. So any work started on a Saturday would never be finished. But anything started on a Friday, you'd have it done before the day of rest on the Sunday. So it's particularly moving house, for example. Everyone moved house long ago on a Friday. You never moved house on a Saturday, right? That was a, so what do they say? Sat, um, Fridays, Fridays flitting, flitting was the word for, for moving. Fridays flitting, long sitting, 
Saturday sitting, short sitting. So even going, leaving hospital was very good. You know, on, on, on a Friday, you'd be gone out for good. But if you were still in there on the Saturday, you were, you were stuck and so on. So yes. everything to do with Friday was good. However, what happens then is that when Friday the 13th occurs, the notions of the 13th comes in. It pervades people's minds. And therefore, what is essentially always a good day was not a good day on that day. Okay. Now, the good okay. news is Friday the 13th only occurs one once or twice. It actually can occur three times. I think this year there are two Friday the 13th. Okay, so they do come around and it registers in people's heads straight away, you know. But I'd, I'd love to know from people if they've had absolutely shocking, catastrophic Friday the 13th. <laughs> and the only reason I'm asking that as well is because if somebody's very superstitious about it and they have a bad day, it could be said that they manifested it themselves, that you can wish bad luck into your life, you know. You could say, well, I, I, oh my I God, I live in the horrors of Friday the 13th. I can't yeah. walk under ladders, you know, yeah. and something awful well, happens because you're paranoid about it. Yeah, I say to my students out here on the Tremor Road campus that when I'm teaching that their cultural studies and their folklore and so on, I always say to them, you know, like the funny thing, Neil, is I've spent my entire life now reading and learning and teaching about all of these things, and I don't believe any of them, right? That's the first thing I'll say to you. However, I'm still bound by them. Right? As in what? I'm Would still... you walk under a ladder? Um, do you wave I, I, at a I, single magpie? I, I wave at mag. I'm like a fool waving at magpies. But besides that, like I won't put. I always. I don't put shoes on the table, for example, uh, which is makes an awful lot. Where did that come from? Don't put new shoes on the table. But when, well, not even new shoes. Any, any shoes? shoes. Because, yeah, because the shoes, of course, are carrying all sorts of filth and dirt and everything like that. You put them up on the table, and what happens is you're transferring that to your food and and so on. So you so wouldn't do that anyway. Yeah, I yeah. would. I wouldn't do it anyway. But I have a fit more, and my partner comes in with the new shoes and whatever, and I'm saying, "Oh, take them off the table. <laughs> take them off the table." You know? So, or else, or else, you know, I never hand anyone a knife. Uh, and I'm here with my students. We're putting on exhibitions, you know, with loads of Stanley knives out. We're cutting uh, boards and, and images to put up on walls and so on. And then what happens, of course, is, you know, someone goes to hand someone a knife. And the tradition there was that you would cut the friendship or, you know, but handing anyone a knife is dangerous. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I know people say, well, hand the handle only, but I wouldn't be giving anyone a knife. You'd never know what they do to them. Yeah, I know. I know. Superstitions whatever, are you know? weird. Like, um, Throwing salt over your shoulder is another one, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. So salt and iron, like, we also have belief in the other world, as it were, and anything which is the product of human endeavour and human technology, and salt is one, for example, which preserves our fish or preserves our meats and so on and so forth, that's really one of the things against all negativity. Right. So by throwing salt over the shoulder, what you're doing is you're, you're throwing it actually to the other world, to the invisible. But, you know, things like iron for protecting against fairies or anything, and is that like why that. there's uh, in, in and still in maybe rural areas there would be um, a, a horseshoe in a exactly. house exactly and and horseshoe over the door but also we've kind of forgotten about it now a horseshoe under the churn because churning milk long ago was a big deal and one of the great if you like uh, ways of protecting against that and so I, you see when you think about iron. Iron doesn't really occur naturally in any way. It has to be, you know, go through a whole process and the blacksmith has said, and it's actually the full exponent of human endeavour and technology that, and you're using iron then to say, I'm against, I'm against anything 
in nature that might come against me. Oh, uh, right, it makes sense. Throwing, throwing yeah. bread at the door at a particular time of the year was another, but, wasn't point, it? Point the dread, bread, well, that was bait out hunger, as we'd call it in Cork. Bait out hunger was always uh, on New Year's Eve, um, and you kind of know, we all know the tradition of opening the uh, opening the, 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 the back door, leaving out the old year and so on, and, and bringing in the, the, the new year in the front door. But more than that, then, uh, you also hit, hit the bread off the, off the back door saying, beat out hunger, beat out hunger from this day onwards so that, you know, you'd have food for the rest of the year. So there are all these lovely observations, rituals, traditions, customs, that, but behind them all, there is this aspiration for us to be able to, to manage and change things. And I think, Neil, you got to bang on there. It actually is in your head. If you've got a phobia against Friday the 13th but, and something happens to you or whatever, I say to everyone, something happens to everyone every day. And it's good. You might win the lotto one day. You might you know, fall into the river the next day and so on. What people do is they make associations. And once you make association, you know, it might be Ronan O'Gara long ago kicking the ball over the bar. And what happens is that he always did that because he touched his right knee first. And he Nadal does it, yeah, way. all the time. And then all of a sudden, he gets that into his head that this is what's doing it for him. Yeah. And therefore, yeah. that's how... Yeah. And, and, and what I love Routines. is the notion of ha- habitual action. Routine. We are all routine. Right, so every like that's my seat, that's my cup, <laughs> that's where I sit down. You know, I yeah, but it's different when first. people say that's my lucky cup or that's my lucky <laughs> pen or you know that's yeah, my lucky yeah. shirt. You know what I mean? Yeah. But so what yeah, harm is it? I suppose there's no, no harm I, in it. But it's human psychology, Neil. That's yeah. what it is. And you know what? But when it then becomes, it, it turns itself into something more than that. And you know, uh, and people have, have have issues about it. You know, that's really then it's all good fun until it becomes maybe. A bit yeah, I know, I know, I know. Actually, yeah, you know, yeah. you, if you don't mind me, just slightly off topic, you did mention um, milk and milk churns, which leads me along yeah. to butter. I, I during the week, uh, I was on, on a trip up just myself up around Blackpool, and it was up at around Shandon. Now, it was a dark and a damp and a drizzly all day when I was up there. But I have to say, the butter exchange looks absolutely shocking. It's yeah, so run yeah. down and abandoned and forgotten about. Um, and this, of course, is something that was developed in, in the 1700s and we became the biggest exporter of fresh butter in the world, right? And um, yeah. why has this building been allowed to go to rack and ruin like it has? Yeah, listen, I, I couldn't agree more. I, my culture and heritage study students, I bring them on walking tours of the city. And in fact, they conduct their own tours as well. And we head up around the Shandon, Shandon area, like Shandon itself, the Shandoon, the old fort. Um, that was the old uh, castle that was up there. Probably the most historic part of Cork City. Yeah. And then these wonderful buildings, everything from St. Anne's Church with the steeple and Skiddy's Skiddy's Am. I visited all of those. Incidentally, yeah. um, sorry to have to say this, but the Force Fairs, Force Face liar is telling the wrong times again on different know, clock faces. But what, like this was, what was it used for? The butter exchange was it to, to, to buy and sell? Was it? Well, listen, it, it, it's the most fascinating story. Like, Munster is full of those incredible, rich pasture lands. And for years and years, people were looking for butter and people were packing their butter into what we call the firkin. The firkin was a, a, a barrel that you would say, which was just about. Um, liftable. <laughs> I always think about it. It's a, the maximum that any one person could kind of lift. So 56 pounds to 70 pounds in weight or thereabouts. And people used to pack their butter in. They would bring it in 
And they're in the early 1700s, Neil, they started to put a bit of schmock down, a bit, a bit of law and order. The weighing of it became yeah. official. Yeah. So weighing, weighing stations came in. One was in the North Main Street. The other was up in Church Street, just below uh, the, the, the church in um, St. Anne's Church in, in, in Shandon. And what happened then is that a committee of butter merchants, people who were exporting, who were selling the butter and so on, decided to appoint themselves as kind of a self-regulating body, that they, the, the, the firkin, the barrel would be made of good, with seasoned oak, it would be of a certain size, they would weigh it, and they would grade the butter. Now, it's very funny, the grading of the butter um, meant that there was, I, I'd say the cholesterol levels were very high now, and the lads were doing the testing, but they were taking a core out of the middle of the butter, and they would smell it, because it could be rancid. If you didn't take the buttermilk out of the butter and wash it in spring water, it very quickly butter will go really off. So getting that right, also getting the texture right, because sometimes they, you know, it was, it was washy and it was all sorts of things, but also the salting, getting the right concentration of salt. In fact, the reason why cork butter is so famous, Neil, is because we had a really fantastic salting um, uh, industry in Cork. When, when Cork was always famous for victualling, for up in the north side of the city there, you had all the abattoirs. You did, for, um, for a lot for pigs, yeah, yeah. yeah. All the pigs and beef as well. And what happened is that you also then had tanning industries where you were making leather. That's and for right. tanning, you needed lime. So we had these lime kilns, they were called, and these were burning lime, burning limestone. And on top of those kilns, they had these plates. And into that was put the rock salt. And we used to refine our own rock salt. So the quality of salt in Cork is the secret to Cork butter. Okay. And then they, we'd export that away around. So that what And that's commemorated feel- next door in the Butter Museum, which is a fabulous place to visit. Now, when I was up there, it was closed. So maybe it's, it's closed at this time of the year. But it shows all of the different butters and the labels for all of the different Cork butters. And there was dozens of them. But the building that is the Butter Exchange is yeah. destroyed now with uh, yeah. green mould and with, weed, oh, with weeds yeah. and... Uh, degradation and neglect. I have to wonder, why have the City Council allowed it to go to rack and ruin? And do they have any plans? Well, you, you'll remember, I, I would say when 40 years ago, and that's telling you how old we're both becoming, 40 years ago, it was, it was a little centre of the craft industry and so on. They had a lovely idea inspired by Kilkenny Design that lots of craft people... Loads of them were in there and they were thriving. Before that, it was a hat factory, but now it's just yeah. a ruin. It is. And I suppose what happened, and to be honest, because I brought people up there, but we had the Firkin Crane Centre uh, up there as well, which was the great dance theatre under Joan Denise. And we had Shandon, as I said, what should be our major cultural centre really kind of has suffered because, number one, the thoroughfare, the access up there from the city centre isn't that clear. You can't see it, as it were. It's just slightly geographically, I think, outside people's mindset when they're in the city. And then when you did open it as well, to be honest, there was difficulties up there with car parking. Where did you park? Yeah, it's a bit bit tight, all right. You know, but I, I used to bring groups up there and I used to bring them on historical tours, Neil. And to be honest, you at night time, it was a very rough area. To be honest, it was a very, mm. there was a lot of social unrest up there. And, you know, people, uh, I, I could tell you some horror stories of, of being stones being thrown at oh, a group man. of Americans I had and so on. So, oh. you know, a lot of young, young lads jumping around the space as they do. So I think that this is a, it's a major issue. I think yeah, but you'll problem. attract those kind of characters when something is neglected and left to run yeah. down. Nothing. Yeah. Things happened there since 2008. Now, I know there yeah, are plans, but they want to get the finger out. This is 15 years of this now. 
Yeah, yeah, and I couldn't agree more. And I do believe I, I'm only hearing on the grapevine that there there has been a plan drawn up, and something is. I think in the last number of years, it, it would be really nice. I couldn't concur more with you that it's something that really I'd love to see. And you, as you say, once something goes in there, maybe that will be the catalyst that would change the whole ambience absolutely. and the whole perspective absolutely. of it. Absolutely. absolutely. Listen, thanks for the backstory on that, and also some lovely contributions on Friday the thirteenth. Shane, have a great weekend, and thanks as always for being available. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, Neil. Take care. Shane Lehan is the folklorist with uh, CSN um, out in Skull Stefan Nefa and does wonderful city tours as well. He knows his city. Actually, um, the proposal for the Butter Exchange, just, just for the record, although it's a long time in coming, includes change of use from the craft centre that we described to a technology and enterprise centre There'll be 140 square metres of new accommodation because there's a huge area adjacent to it behind the wall. So 140 square metres of new accommodation, uh, the adaptation and upgrade of the building fabric and the conservation work to the building itself. So hopefully that will happen. It needs to happen. It's long overdue. I remember actually when it was um, a craft hub way back in the day, and I'm talking about 19... 92, for instance, when I got married, I'll never forget it, the, the morning that we had because we all had breakfast there in a fabulous cafe in the Butter Exchange way back then. And it was a thriving cafe right across the day. It had a fantastic uh, full Irish. You know, all the little craft hubs and painters were there and sculptors were there and fabric designers were there. And since 2018, nothing. Back after the break. Text in WhatsApp 86 8104 106 Cork's Red FM. To play Stevie Wonder's Superstition if we had time. But anyway, Killeen got married on Friday the 13th. Morning. Morning, did you, me, did, how you, are you? did you get a reduction from the hotel or anything? <laughs> we did, we did, we did. Um, really? Yeah, 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 100%. 100%. Uh, so we got a reduction in a few things, but not everything. But, so, but was it a reduction because it was Friday the 13th? Yeah, yeah. So it. it was se- se- September time. It was out in um, the Oriel in Ballincollig. Yeah. Um, and for, for, first of all, just to say everything that they did from start to finish was fantastic. <laughs> um, so look, a, a small bit of a plug there for them. Yeah, but good the hotel. September, September is classed as a peak time for for uh, any hotel, I suppose, getting married. It's a, it, 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 or someone getting married in a hotel. Yeah. So I just chanced my arm. I was chatting away. I can't remember the rates off the top of my head. It might have been something like 60 ahead or 61 ahead, something along those lines. 2019 we're talking about. Right, go ahead. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So if it was, um, if we were getting married in September, but then I turned around and I said, you know what, it's um, it's Friday the 13th. <laughs> Is there anything you can do for me? And she said, look, you know what, Friday the 13th, I'll give you the off-peak rate. So we got the off-peak rate, which I think was 50 ahead. Instead uh, of 60 or 61. Exactly. So That's it was about, a big about, cost. Uh, it was, and it made a big difference, you know. So, it, uh, definitely there was. Now, again, I presume if I didn't say anything, they probably wouldn't have done it. But you, you know, didn't have a uh, problem with it being Friday the 13th, getting married. Did Julie have a problem with the date? No, no, no. So, Ju- Julie was born on the, the 13th of July, so she's had many a Friday the 13th birthday over the years as well. Um, and her anniversary was well, it was actually the 14th, but we wanted a... A Friday wedding, so look, we 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 were happy with the thirty. It didn't lash, no. No, it was one of the best days of the year. Um, I think it was twenty three, twenty four degrees with <laughs> blue skies. We got married in in Cove Cathedral. She's from Cove, I'm Balancholic. so we got married in Cove Cathedral. So the photos outside afterwards were spectacular with the blue sky. There was honestly, we couldn't have asked for better weather. Isn't it amazing? Um, so, 
No, it is. So, and like, again, there were certain things that we asked for, like with the band. Now, the band said, listen, this is the price. Um, the photographer did do us a deal again, but there's, there's always a bit of haggling room, you know. But um, I, I, I presume that the, the reason they were saying was Friday the 13th, but I'm sure they always have their little bit that they'll knock off. Anyway. Well, listen, I tell you one um, thing if yeah. you don't ask, you won't get. <laughs> Absolutely. That's my motto, big time. <laughs> Great day. Well done. Thanks for sharing. No Appreciate worries. it, Thank Killian. You. Regards Definitely to you and to Julie. Quick one here from Tina. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. Your daughter was born on Friday the 13th. She was indeed. She was born on the 13th of March in 2009. And so all our birthdays are on Friday the 13th. <laughs> yeah, they are. They well, are, not yeah. necessarily Fridays, but, you know, they fall. A lot of them fall on Friday the 13th. Yeah, and it's amazing because she'll look up the calendar and she'll have a look and she'll say, when am I going to fall on the 13th? Tur- it's like as if she, she can't wait for it to happen on the 13th, but she gets an awful slagging at home because of being born on Friday the 13th. Uh, I don't know, do they think she's kind of... Slash evil, slash worried to be troubled about her or something. Are you superstitious? <laughs> like, do you walk under ladders? Do you wave at magpies? Do you walk around ladders? Stuff like that. I am. I would be. I would be, to be fair now. But I think when she was born on Friday the 13th, um, we were saying, we went, we were saying, oh my God, like, would it be, she was going far when she was getting older, we were saying, would she be wary of it herself? But she just, it just laughed it off and, we laugh, but it's lucky day for us anyway as a family. All so. right, but as she had, well, it's her 18th birthday on the 13th. Would she have a would she have a 21st well, on Friday the 13th? Well, this is it. She often slags and she says, "Ma'am, we might go away for my 21st. And I'd say, why, Megan, why? She'd say, because I don't think friends might come. They might be wary on the night if it's a Friday. And I'd say, ever sure, we'll see. <laughs> so she might get a holiday out of us first. Oh, I love it. All right. Thanks, Tina. Have a great weekend. You know, we're talking talking about holidays. We have a weekend break for two uh, to Paris, courtesy of ourselves, Cork Airport and Vueling Airlines, Vueling.com. Check out their website, V-U-E-L-L-I-N-G. So this involved two nights, accommodation, hotel accommodation in Paris. You'll fly, return with Vueling. Um, you can actually park up free at Cork Airport and stay in the Aspire Lounge until your plane is ready to board. And of course, it's great to be able to fly out of and back into Cork Airport. It's just fabulous to have it on our doorstep. So I've been asking you to share stories with regards to first dates. Um, Adelina, good morning. I'm going to be killed for this. I told I, you to call me Mary. I'd say you are, I, I say you are because I don't know who, I don't know who Mary is. I have Adel, Adelina here in front of me and it's not your story. So you are going to be killed. But tell us it anyway. So, um, and I wouldn't even call it a first, a first date. <laughs> Um, it was um, a chance meeting. So I used to, this is 20 years ago, I used to work in a newsagent's local shop and there was a garage down the road and the mechanics used to come up at 11 o'clock every morning for their breakfast roll and their mug of tea. Yeah, without fail, yeah. Uh, yeah, and there was one particular mechanic that used to come up and he would always say to me, there was a pub in between the... Um, the garage and the news agents and he'd always say will you come down on the Friday and sure we'll all be in there after work on the Friday so on this particular Friday eventually I took the bull by the horns and went down to the pub and um, sat down with them they were, there was a gang of us there there was a gang of them there and we had a great all night and the crack was mighty and we were all fairly smashed and I only lived basically across the road. And this particular lad uh, walked me home. And in my 
demented state, um, I decided that I'd throw on an old fry. So there was the sausages, the bacon, the soft fried eggs, um, a bit of toast. and um, Sausages, bacon, a nice runny egg and a bit of toast. Not a bother to eggs, you. Yeah. It was the eggs really that were my downfall. Be fair, Neil. I know. Um, I think. I think something. Anyway, I, I don't want to jump ahead, but it took a while to cook it. Um, yes. And your man, your man was in a, a different room. Go ahead. He was in the sitting room on the couch, and my sitting room was tiny because I was in like a, a college student accommodation thing. <laughs> and um, when I walked into the sitting room, he has, for whatever bizarre reason, taken his lower half of his clothes off. <laughs> Oh and was sitting on the couch and the eggs, everything slipped off the plate. <laughs> but it was the eggs that um, burnt hot, him. Hot molten egg in yeah, the lap area, let's say. Groin area, yeah. Groin area. Um, so on our first night out after he had begged me for about three months, um, we ended <sighs> up in the out of hours doctors to have him clean, cleaned and dressed. And I can say we are married with three children now. What? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the worst actually, on the first night. <laughs> you, actually, you actually took him to an A&E. <laughs> I a, took him to the out-of-hours doctor. As opposed to, to shouting at him, get out, get out. <laughs> you, sorry, for my, sorry for my slippery eggs. <laughs> weren't, you, weren't you very kind and understanding? And forgiving. We have three children now. <laughs> but he, he... He took all... He took his... He took his... His manhood to the out of our doctor with eggs stuck to us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now we have children. Yeah. Uh, did you ever have the... Co- <laughs> yeah, well, everything... everything's you know that so, thing, so that inspi- great thing? My, my mother is great for saying, that's one to tell the, the grandchildren, no... Absolutely not. I've told everybody how you, now. How did you meet that? Well, wait until I tell you. And and in spite of the hot molten volc- volcanic egg yolk, all, all all of his equipment was in perfect working order after it because well, you've had I three mean, children since. As I said, we've had three children, so you know. We <laughs> <laughs> and also, my eldest son is actually. He was expecting. Why, he was expecting a little bit more than the fry up that night. You do realise that. Well, I threw two sausages at him as well. Like, come on. you got to get here. It wasn't just the eggs. Oh my God, almighty. Oh that really happened, did it? It really happened. And we're still married. We still have three children, thanks be to God. And um, they're going to mortify the whole lot of them. Let me get one more story on the air, Adelina, uh, aka Mary. <laughs> Laura, good morning. Morning, how are you? <laughs> anyway, okay, well, tell me about your first date. I think you married him as well, did you? What happened? I married him, three kids again, like the previous uh, caller. Um, yeah, so we were texting to and forth, we arranged to meet, and we said, you know what, we'll just spin around in his car, as you do when you're 20, 21. So, um, spin around the car, so, you know, get a take Where is this whatever, around, where thing. is this, in the city, suburbs, county, or what? Just around the county, yeah. We said we'd spin around, no, 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 no plans really. Whatever. His dad rings then and says cattle broke out. Oh, so he's a, he's a farmer, is he? Yes, he's a farmer. Yeah. 
so cattle broke out, so I had no choice. We'd go, that was it. Cattle come first. Um, so off we went, and he said he better bring the quad with him, you know, just to drive around and make sure all the fences, everything is okay after everything is sorted. So run around the fields, got destroyed, got the cattle in, everything, got the quad down from the trailer. You're not from a farming background. Like, this is all alien to you, is it? Yeah, no, I'm from the town. I'm from the town. So, um, but sure, you know, not a bother. Off we go. Something different. And run around, everything, everything, cattle back in. Fence is okay. So we came back to loading the quad. So the quad trailer, the bed part, it tips. So when you're loading the quad, you have to drive up onto the trailer and the trailer then tips down flat. So you have to go a certain point and then the trailer has to flatten down. So he said, you do it. I said, no. I said, I'm not doing it. I said, you do it. So we had a big two and four. So I ended up trying it. Tried it once. Couldn't get it up. Tried it second time. Same again. Or three or four times. He was kind of getting frustrated. I was like, I do not want to do this. He's like, do it. I said, fine. I'm getting really sick with him. And next thing he popped the quad into four wheel drive and never said a word to me. And I was tick out now at this stage. I just wanted to go home. So full throttle quad full throttle up the trailer straight up over the front bar of the trailer and into the back of his L200 cook cab jeep <laughs> did you do much damage uh, yeah the quad was I I was actually <laughs> froze I was sitting on the quad I looked at him and he was there his jaw was on the ground and I was sitting on the quad in the back of his jeep <laughs> so it took a flyer Absolutely, like, and he was like, "Why did you go so hard?" And I was like, "You never told me. You told me to move on up it." Like, uh, so look, I did this it. is this was this was not what you had signed up for on a first date, was there? There obviously must have been a second date, like. Oh yeah, we're married now with three kids, so um, yeah, like I was. It was we eventually got the quad out of the trailer. We were going up the road. It was silent, so he dropped me home, and I was like, "Oh sure, will we?" You know. Me do this again? <laughs> are, you, are you a farmer now? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'll drive the quad now, but I won't. If he's loading it up on the trailer, I can't look at it. I just can't. It just scares me. I know, but I mean, there's a serious side to this. You haven't seen it at the time, but you could have been killed, clearly. Like. Oh my God, 100%. And he could as well, because when you have to put the trailer up on the quad, there's a pin to go in the front of it, and he was waiting with the pin to, to put the pin into the trailer. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. So now he didn't know he was more watchy, but then I was at home then, and I said, look, you know, he said, yeah, I'll text you, whatever, but sure, I thought I'd never hear from him again. And he texted me that night to say that he was at home, and he was parked up, and his brother was going into town, and next thing, there was a knock on the window, his brother called him out the front, and his brother had reversed into the front panel of the Jeep. Oh, the Jeep so got I had a merciful time. But <laughs> must have been. Must have all happened. It didn't all happen on Friday the 13th, no? It was actually a Friday, but I can't remember what the 13th. I bet you it was the it 13th. I'm going to say it was the 13th. <laughs> but thanks for sharing, That's Laura. It. Appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. There's another few here. When camping with my, uh, when camping with friends, had a few drinks. It was the first night they kissed. And by the end of the night, I, as they slept in the car, he was shot. Do you remember that from Monday's program? Yeah, he was shot when Denise was in the passenger seat with him. He, uh, she was 17 and he was 18. He survived. 18 years later, they're still together and they have two kids. That was the first date from Monday. On Tuesday, Dee was telling, her, telling us that 
his father showed up in a three-piece suit for their first date uh, and mum got the instant ick. It was He actually, at the same time, remember that story? He had been to the dentist. He was heavily sedated. So there he is in his three-piece suit. They went to the films, to the movies, to the pictures and he fell asleep. He also transpired he left his wallet at home so ma'am had to pay for the Chinese and the Tung Sing. All of that was Tuesday's story from D. Wednesday, Paula was, Pauline was telling us about the date in the tattoo shop. She was getting her ex of 18 years name covered up. She had a tattoo of her ex and that's how she fell in love with uh, somebody. She is the girl that's covered in Disneyland tattoos. And then uh, Pascal told of his first date with Kira. He says he picked her up in the van. They were going to Curry Binney Woods. Do you remember that? The van was uh, parked on the side of the road, just packed in. Uh, the brother had to come collect us, bring him to Douglas. They decided to go to McDonald's. He's covered in oil. He forgets his money and has to pay for it. Kira uh, um, actually uh, is still with him 11 years later. So that was another one of the stories that got into the final from Friday. And this morning's ones, guys, um, I, I think in fairness, uh, you would put, would you put Adelina straight into the final? I think you would uh, with the date and the fried eggs and cooking up the fry and ending up in the A&E. Your man thought he was on a promise or some kind of a promise. I think it was a little bit more than a full Irish. So Adelina's into the final for Friday, but who would you pick as a winner of that lot, lads? Text 0868104106. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818104106. All right, well, the last bunch of shout-outs now for our Free Food Friday. To everybody at Bar One Racing on Evergreen Road, to PFH in Little Island. Good morning to Orla and all the staff there. Rath Beacon Fireplaces in Hollymount Industrial Estate. The Puffin Ward at the CUH. Everybody at Irish Yogurts in Clonakilty. Good morning. Keto Products. Blockwall Developments in Ballinglana, Northside Tires in the Old Mallow Road, the Orchid Centre in the CUH are listening, Carrick Don and Ballancolic, Bridgewater Homes in Kerry Pike, everybody driving the big taxi. Apparently that would be Chris and Martin and the boys driving the big taxi. Boots in Blackpool are listening, very busy at the moment. They would share with their neighbours if they won out in Blackpool. That's what you get in Blackpool, very generous people. Haven Marine Boats and Passage, Slimming World Group in Frankfield, Cork Registration Office could do with uh, lunch. One of the busiest months of the year, apparently, for the registration office. Uh, Healthcare 21 in Blarney, St. Coleman's House in McCroomer listening, Clayton Hotel in Silver Springs, uh, to everybody at Audi on the Bandon Road, and everybody at Boston Scientific, Donsworth Office Supplies in Ford Chill, Bespoke Wedding Ceremonies, the Clothes Horse Dry Cleaners in Castle Martyr, and just a few more PMC commercials in Ballonhasic, the Economic Development Department of the County Council, everybody at Premet Fabrication on the Powderduff Road, and ECI JCB in Carrick Tools. So we need to pick a winner for free Food Friday, 15 to 20 of you will be fed courtesy of ourselves and Roosters Piri Piri, uh, Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park. Now, just a very fast one before the, we do the draw. Final word on Friday the 13th. Bernice, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well, girl. And 31 years ago, you were in the Labour Ward on Friday the 13th. I was by, and I was shouting that I didn't want no child on Friday the 13th. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't shouting in pain. Because I was supposed to with me and I said, I don't want any choices by the 13th, no way, no <laughs> were way. You, and were you trying to hold back? I t- believe me, I did. I did my best. <laughs> how believe close, me, how close to midnight did you get? About 10 o'clock. <laughs> 10 o'clock. I, I, I was so afraid. And then she was only eight weeks old and she got meningitis. Uh, oh dear. And oh. then she was four months and got meningitis again. And did and she, then, Yeah, go on. Sorry. And did she, your radio's on the background, did she grow up then to go away to Australia? 
That's not the girl in Australia. This girl is still living with me. All right. She's yeah. awesome. She's Oswald, as we call her. I get confused as to who's here and who's not. Anyway, you and held off for... Yeah, go on. They should get the acne attack. They should get people to get out to breathe. So then she's got a machine. Sleep. Oh, apnea. God, she said... And do you put all that down to being born on Friday? Do you say that's your well, own yes. fault? I would say it's my own fault, like what I've said. That's why I get no problem. She's on Friday to talk to you. <laughs> Everything that was going, she got it. I mean, she's also meningitis. She's very bad with meningitis. Oh, my God. Ah, yeah, but you don't be super... Breathing. You're not very superstitious, are you? I wouldn't be very superstitious, no. I mean, she, she turned out to be a lovely lady, you know. She is. I'm quite sure she is. What's her name, you say? Grace. Grace. Grace Beautiful name. Born on Friday the 13th. All right, girl. Have a great weekend, Bernice. And she's shouting and roaring. I don't want my baby born on Friday the 13th inside the Labour Ward. Anyway, I'm going to run rapidly out of time. So let us see if we can get the biggest shout out of all time and give free food Friday for everybody at Little Hands Child Care Redemption Road in Blackpool. Denise joins me by phone. Denise, good morning. Denise. Hello, Neil. How are you? You have been texting for ages. Every week, religiously. Without fail. Did you ever think it would Same come? Time. Did you ever think it would happen? No, we were hoping and praying. We're delighted. All right. Okay. So, how many of you are there at um, uh, Little Hands Childcare? There is about twenty-five of us working in total. We work on shift work, so there's about twenty in today. Uh, twenty. Okay. So I yeah. think we'll just about feed twenty of you with roosters peri peri. This lunchtime. I'm sure we share. Okay. So how many of you got around you there now at the moment? Um, I have Fanola. I have Sinead. I have Michelle. I got. Amy, Caroline, Phil, Tracy, and a couple of the kids as well. Okay, okay. So from all of you, I want have a great weekend, everybody, as loud as you can in your own time. Have a great weekend. That was a complete... That was a complete disaster. I don't even know what language that was in. Do it again. Do it again, okay? We're ready to One, two, three. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Well done. Congratulations, Denise. To you and all of the gang. Food's on the way, courtesy of ourselves and Roosters, Perry Perry, Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park. Enjoy. Lovely meal. Thanks a million. Thanks for Bye. listening. Thanks for listening. See you guys. Adelina. Hello. I have to tell you, I really thought it would be very hard to beat Denise, right, on Monday, who went camping and yeah. the boyfriend is shot in the in the driver's seat of the car. Thank God he survived. I thought that Thank would be hard to beat until I heard your story about the fried egg and the man you went on to marry and he closed this from the waist down. <laughs> At least I've seen the the worst of the worst at first date. Yeah, you got an early look. To, uh, <laughs> you got an early look. <laughs> you must like. So you must like what you. You must liked what you saw, though. <laughs> well, I did say I dropped two sausages. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to know anymore. That's private and personal. Uh, to, on the basis of the story, which had people absolutely breaking their sides laughing, the guy nearly crashed a van. Actually, listening to our conversation. So, in, sp- in spite of the fact now you've told the whole wide world, I'm my gonna- mother has just texted me to say I never knew that's how you met him. I would suggest if your mother had known, she would not have allowed you to have had a second date with him. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, you're off to Paris, the two of you. You are a darling, and I can tell you now, Neil, if if it is possible, I actually entered for my eldest son himself and his partner are working hard in UCC and their dream was for this year to go to Disneyland even though they're adults but sure look that's what you do when you're an adult yeah no reason why not I want to send the two of them actually that um, is the loveliest thing that is the yeah, loveliest away thing. on a nice little break because they're okay. working hard. They're trying to get their qualifications. And unfortunately, when they get their qualifications, they're going to be leaving Ireland. I hate to hear that. But listen, they're dead right. Even if they decide to come back at some stage, spread the wind, wings, go on an adventure. Yeah, um, and so you I'd know, love to send the two of them off on a little break. Well, you need to you need to get on to them and tell them that you've won it on their behalf. You Trip are for an two. absolute darling. And I've had to shame myself to the nation and to my mother. <laughs> He shamed himself all those years ago and you did it this morning. All right. You okay. know, I'm going, I'm going to get a call from him or his workmates now going, ha, ha, ha. Now we know. <laughs> Hard to beat. And like, Dear darling, thank you. Get on the phone and share the prize, all right? Look after thank yourself, Thank you so Adelina. much. Thank all you so much. Take Great care. show. Thank you. Cheers. Trip for two, and she's passing it on. Trip for two for two nights to Paris, courtesy of ourselves, and Welling Airlines. You can check them out yourself, welling.com. I'm out of time, guys. Uh, have a good weekend. I'll see you Monday. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.